Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today is a special guest. We have a lot of history. A lot of history. Mostly good, Jamie. Mostly. We'll, we'll, we'll determine that. We'll determine that. Uh, and if you like any of my jokes from my second special, uh, Uncomfortable, a lot of people say those are the better versions of my first jokes from my first special, Unwashed. Uh, this man is responsible for him all. <laughs> he used to open up for me for at least three years. Yeah, longer, I think. Yeah, three, three and a half years, four years, and uh, we've been through, we've been through a lot together. I, he's yeah. like a brother, and I love him. And I'd like to please introduce. He's a great actor, a great comedian, a great dancer, a great writer. <laughs> And we're going to talk about him and why it makes him tick. Please welcome Bill Dawes. Hey, guys. I'm really happy to be here. I actually begged you to be here, Jamie. You did. You said, I just want a time with you. I want quality time with you, man. That's what you, it was. You, did. you said, hey, dude, I really want to do your pod. I'll say anything I want. Why did you want to come on so bad? It's going to get hot in here and just deal with it. Yeah, it's going to get hot emotionally in here, too. I, I think I want to do it because I know... That you're like, we have similar sensibilities. I think we've always had similar sensibilities with comedy. Very much. Maybe politically, just socially, culturally. Um, so I felt that you had a lot of guests on. I know you want to really go there. You're someone, you're like me. You like to go there. You like to go deep in the rabbit hole. Yes. You like to like unearth what people are thinking in their like darkest times. And so I, I just thought that I know that right now we're in a really weird time. Super culturally, weird. politically. Uh, as a comic, and I know that you kind of like talk around it and you flirt around it and you and you I know that you worry about what can be said or can't be said, and I guess I'm sort of at a point in my life now where of course, I worry a little bit I'm not just like unfiltered blah, 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 blah. but I also feel like you have to have adult conversations about shit and you have to look at every side if you can't have those conversations, then what the, what are we doing a hundred percent before we get into that, I'd like to go into your history. Our history, and then you're taking the world. It's going to be so hot, but I can't help it, bro. We just have to sweat it through. I think it's funny. Should we just take our shirts off and fucking (laughs) Bert Kreischer it? That's what what Vanessa said. I'm going to cut the rest. She's like, you're just saying as hot as you take your shirt off. I'm like, projection? Um, So wait. So how old are you? I'm, I think... We're almost, I'm like three years young. I'm like 46. You're, you're like 46 or you're 46? I'm about to turn 47, so you know what I mean. So you're 47. What's your birth sign? Um, you Sag? You're Taurus? Yeah. Okay, we get along. That's why we fight a little bit, like my mother. Yeah. Um, and you're from, you know, you have that hilarious joke where you're from Virginia. Yeah. But you say you're from the uh, racist part of Virginia called... Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when did you start comedy? It's funny because we started touring when? 2005, 2006? Six. So I've been doing comedy for about a year. That's so funny. And I totally lied and I said, oh, I've been doing it for three years or something like that. Such a con man. Oh, I totally conned, man. I totally conned. I. Well, before we get into that, I want to hear that. But wh- how, what made you start comedy? Um, well, like you, I was an actor first and yeah. that's all I want to do is be an actor, but I was like a theater guy. So I went to NYU for theater school. So I was like, one day I'll be on a playbill. That was like my goal, my dream. Your, your goal has been to like, to be famous and to do big shit. My goal was to be on a playbill. <laughs> and then you hit that pretty early on. You're like, oh shit, that's, I should have bigger goals. Uh, so I just did theater forever. And after you do theater in New York for a while, you do a lot of new plays 
And sort of the mandate for new plays in New York is you're an actor. Say your fucking lines. Do like Devin Mamet did. Just say your lines and shut the fuck up. Your opinion's irrelevant. Off, just you're God. doing off-Broadway 99 seats. Off-Broadway, Broadway as well. Wow. And off-off-Broadway. I mean, off-off-off-off-Broadway is what like a lot of normal... Off-Broadway was actually a pretty big commercial scene, and that's like 199, and then Broadway's let's, like 600. Let's go back. You, you grew up in Virginia, and then your first college you go to, I believe, is... Princeton, yeah. And you got a full scholarship? No, I got partial. I'm not that smart. So you got a partial scholarship to Princeton. Yeah. But you had already were a break dancer in high school. <laughs> I was a break. No, what it was, I was a break dancer professionally from like sixth grade to eighth grade. In Virginia. In Virginia. And they used to have competitions. My crew was called uh, Shake and Break. Okay. My nickname was Kid Flex. Yeah. Because I was really skinny and I could do all the kind of like flexy shit. Um, and we used to compete a lot. And our main place to compete was Chuck E. Cheese. They had teen night every wow. Friday at Chuck E's. And we go, and we won like $200 one night. And we're like, oh, I bet, I bet, you, were the, I I bet you were the apple of many of uh, <laughs> people's eyes there. Your little flexy moves. <laughs> yeah. See, and, then, and then someone told me, then a girl said, you know, you'll never have a girlfriend doing that shit. Because I had the parachute pants. I looked like you and kicking it old school. That yeah. was like how I dressed. You, you know? were like OG, you know, William Zabka. You look like the kids from the Karate Kid. <laughs> yeah. You were blonde hair. Cool. Yeah, it was cool. Did I you did, dress like that? Uh, I went parachute pants. I didn't wear total bandanas. But yeah. I definitely went sleeveless shirts and parachute pants. And fat laces. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, dude, I still rock a fat lace now if I could. <laughs> so wait, so you're a break dancer, then you go to high school, and you're what? You're a football star? Uh, in high school, I was, uh, I was, I was varsity soccer track and uh, football. Yeah. Super athletic. But then, okay. you, then you've got this. My school was, like I say, my school was 70% black and 30% terrified. And I know that's like whatever as a joke, but my school was... The amount of amazing athletes that have come out of T.C. Williams. I never knew you did that joke. T.C. Williams, the movie, remember the Titans? That was my high school, right? Oh, I didn't know that. And I played on the football team. And the joke is because every team needs a kicker. But it's also true because I wasn't good enough to compete as a wide receiver. Uh, and I was like the one black guy in all. I uh, won white guy in all black football team. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. That makes so much sense. So there was another kid. I forget his name, but he went to Tulane. And he did an episode. Dean. And they used to call him, I want to say they called him Fast fast Vanilla or White Chocolate, but I feel like White Chocolate <laughs> too high. That's so funny. I wanted my nickname to be Vanilla Swirl. Yeah. I wanted to be so good that my nickname was Nilla Swirl, and I tried to like promulgate it, but it never took on because I wasn't good enough. Because yeah. I was a wide receiver too. And he was a, he was a D-back. Oh, wow. A white D-back at Tulane. And he was like the only one of the only white kids. He was like you, good looking white kid. But like that's even crazier because you have to chase the wide receivers. Yeah, so and that was college level too. Super fast. Yeah, and he, you know, and he got the respect. So that makes so much sense. So then you go to Princeton also, and you have this scholarship because of your brain. Yeah, that was all, I was also ROTC scholarship too. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, army, army, Ar yeah. army. Yeah. So how did what was that mean? You mean guys? That's just army? like my dad's like, listen, just. They'll pay for your, there's a, a thing called one and run. Uh -huh. If you join ROTC, I think they still have it. They'll pay for your first year. And then if you dip out after the first year, that's still paid for. But if you do your second year and then you drop out, you have to pay back both years. 
So everyone does it. That's called the one and run. They treat you like a king. They try to entice you into what the army means and serving your country and give you food and a stipend. Mm-hmm. But the whole time I'm like, I'm dipping after a fucking year because I don't give a shit about the military. But uh, yeah, that was so that paid for my first year. And the rest was kind of like academic scholarships. Yeah. But still, I was in debt when I got out. You did four years. Four years. Yeah. What was your major? Aerospace engineering. Did you really have interest in it? You know what? The truth is, I have to say this honestly, if I was smarter, I probably would have. I was smart enough to get into Princeton and graduate, but I wasn't smart enough to thrive there and to stand out. Because the people who were doing well there are some of the smartest people in the world. And I'm not that. Would you you say Princeton, I would say Princeton's top five school in the world? Probably, yeah. Top three? Yeah, but it's also one of those schools, like a lot of schools, it's a legacy school. Yep. So you go there the first six months, you're like, oh my God, how did I get here? Oh my God, how did I get here? And then the next three and a half years, you're like, how the fuck did he get here? How did she get here? And you realize there's a lot of like dumb people who are trust fund babies, who, whose dad. So they get in that way? Oh, for like sure. Harvard's like that too. Oh, for sure. Of course. What's the, what is the hard, what, cause I know this about schools now cause my nephew is super smart. So I learned all about that top 200 school bullshit. We looked on that, right? Bullshit. USA Today, yeah. No, it's, just, it's a better guide than that. Because I know UCLA jumped up a lot recently. Yeah. So which, what would you say number one is? MIT? I mean, I think traditionally Harvard. Harvard, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? Stanford. Yeah, I think usually it's like there's always this weird thing with Harvard, Yale, and Princeton mm-hmm. as like the top three. But it's really Harvard and Yale. And Princeton was kind of like, we're with you guys. And they're like, no, fuck you. But Stanford, yeah. MIT. The Harvard of the, the hey, Harvard of the West. Yeah. 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 MIT is also a different school. It's like a, it's a straight up like physics, engineering, technical school. So that's like a different level of Asperger genius. You know what I mean? Yeah. Harvard's that's more. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. So you have, okay. So you graduate 22. Yeah. So then what do you do? I went straight to uh, NYU grad school for acting. What, when did you decide you want to be an actor? I was, um, I was, so when I got to Princeton, I took the... By the way, I worked with this guy for four years intensely. We've never had the talk. Traveled every continent with him except Antarctica. Never knew any of this shit. What crazy? a piece of shit I am. <laughs> Can you Meanwhile, give me my coffee? I read your book like three times. I wrote, I wrote a screenplay based on your book. I was busy doing Shrek impressions. Go you ahead. You were busy actually doing shit. <laughs> so, so go ahead. So you get out and what the fuck? Your aerospace. How do so, you go from aerospace okay, so This is what happened. I want to know the my, facts. Okay, so my dad is like, you know, rigid, Republican, do, 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 do the thing and have the kid in the... And uh, and your mom? My mom's just, she was drunk. Now my mom... Tammy, ta- Tammy trailer trash. <laughs> Barefoot pregnant. A little bit. Okay. Just a little bit. So, um, yeah, I say like I'm from a mixed race, like halfway half trash. My dad had a master's and my mom had a mullet, which is a true story. <laughs> your mom never smoked a cigarette with a filter. Oh, no, for sure. P- possibly rolled her own. I don't, yeah, I think she did. Chaw? I remember that. Chaw? She didn't do Chaw. All right. But she definitely doesn't have her own teeth at Listen, all. I know a lot about Virginia now because yeah. I've been, I have relatives, and there's a lot more actors from there than you realize. Here's, here's what you should know about my mom. She drank bourbon from Tupperware, which just describes like the suburbs and alcoholism <laughs> in Virginia in a nutshell. That was her. Is she still with us? She's still with us. God, She's okay. fucking God held together by and pop still there? gum and fucking... Yeah, they're okay. both there. They're That's kind great. of in their like little Biden dementia era of their life. Uh, so I should uh, jump the shark there. So good. I yeah, I did. Uh, I went when I started in uh, engineering. 
my brother's girlfriend goes, how are you going to meet girls? No one wants to bang an engineer. So I took an acting class because I heard that that's how John Malkovich got into acting. It's he followed, he just like stalked a girl around registration day. And she took acting classes, so we took it. So I thought it'd be a good way to meet girls, really, is what it was. Which is 100% honest. 100% honest. 100, anyone who's saying, like, I like theater, I like to express myself. No, that's <laughs> what you just said is 1,000% honest. Yes. And I respect that. And that's why I also got into dance, too. I, I have a minor in theater and dance from Princeton because... It's like, hey, if you're a straight dancer, it's going to yeah. be. And I, w- I came e- poor. I had no family. I had yeah. no legacy. Yeah. Uh, so I wasn't going to get laid without theater and dance at all. Yeah. That's a really funny thing to say. Yeah. And you, yeah, but you could be get on Madonna's world tour and end up, <laughs> you know, yeah, you get in those circles. And that's a true statement. Mm-hmm. So wait, you then go, you do acting. You're number one in your class. People love you. And then, bam, you get the bitten by the bug. Yeah, I think it was just maybe my junior year, I started thinking, wow, maybe I could do this. Maybe that's something I could actually do. It took do. you seven years. Maybe I could do this? You already were fucking winning Chuck E. Cheese contests. <laughs> but that was never you acting. You got into Princeton. But so what? Thing, Jamie, like, here's something I've always admired about you. You have, like, amazing facility with your voice. Like, you can go oh. really high, really low. You can do all these I, I grew up, I had braces, I had, uh, I had tonsil, chronic tonsillitis, I had a really bad speech impediment combined with a really, like, lax southern accent, so I kind of talked like this a lot. Really? Yeah. I never knew that about you. Really bad acne, Coke bottle, gla- I was a fucking mess. You know what wow. I mean? Wow. So I never thought in a million years that uh, I should be in front of a camera or anything like that, nor did I ever think that I could use my voice to express myself. The only way I expressed myself was like physical shit. And in my comedy, I still am kind of like that. But I would just do falls. I would jump from buildings. I was that guy doing the crazy shit, hurting himself for people's amusement. A pu- approval. Yeah. But, but And were you fighting back then too or no? No. No. Not at all. Meaning crazy. like, because you're a UFC guy. Well, I do jujitsu. Yeah. 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 Uh, you have so much. I'm trying to stay <laughs> in it. It's incredible. So you go to NYU. Which is a whole bunch of other money. Junior year, you think you can do it. So you graduate? No, junior year in, in, in college is when I was like, I think I could do this. So then you go to NYU and how long so do you my go senior, for? Senior year at Princeton, I'm applying to, I applied to, for NASA and I applied for Wall Street jobs. My as dad bought Like to work at NASA as like a consultant, as an aerospace engineer. But well, what about at Wall Street? Basically, Wall Street was poaching people. This is like, uh, you know, the late 90s. They're poaching people from Princeton to work on Wall Street who were air, air, engineers because they thought okay this is the mine that would work for wall street and uh i went to wall i did like interviews on wall street and they're like why do you want to work at goldman sachs and i just had this like prepackaged sort of monologue about i I care about like commodities and what the fuck i didn't even care at one point i lost my track i was i don't know man i just want a job and the guy's like okay thanks for coming and i literally threw my briefcase away like after the interview i I don't think I'm i'm not cut out for it you know what i mean it just, I think... So that no one hired you? I did get a bite from Anderson Consulting, which is like, I don't know if you know that. They were kind of big, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they weren't like, I just was like, no, man. So I got an NYU and I was like, my parents, I guess they, they still thought it was school. Because my dad, not, any, not anymore, but I think up until maybe 10 years ago, he still was holding out hope that I might become an engineer mm-hmm. or something. You know what I mean? Like if I wasn't working for like several months, he's like, well, you know, you do have an engineering degree. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. I'm like, Dad, it's done. So wait, so then 
you get in the NYU and how long you go for? That's a three-year program. It's a Master of Fine Arts. So you graduate when you're 25? 24. Yeah. And then you're in New York, all jacked up, contacts are in. <laughs> Lasix. Straight, straight dancer. Yoga teacher. Yoga. I was a yoga teacher. Oh, you could see you doing that. And then you're just off to the races. Well, so, the fir- yeah, in the beginning, I was just like, I was in my 20s in New York, and I was on a soap opera and doing what plays. soap? Uh, all my children. Regular character? Recurring. Cat. That's good cash. Yeah, it wasn't bad. It was like a 1100 a day to play her gay, Susan Lucci's gay assistant. You played a gay guy? Dude, all I could get cast in, my, from 24 to like 28, I was only, because I can't grow facial hair. Bill. And I look gay. That was a joke. <laughs> That's the only thing you can get cast in now. <laughs> You're still getting cast No, luckily I'm too fat to be gay. <laughs> you could just, now I have to be a bear. I'm a different type of gay bear. guy now. Bear with no hair. I used to be a twink, but now I'm a bear. Yeah. Twinkie yeah, bear, bear no hair. You're right. So wait, so you go... And you start doing this, and then you got disenfranchised, so you're starting to make the rounds, doing all that acting stuff. I got, what happened is I got fired. I was doing an off-Broadway play called Burning Blue, and there was a movie about it. They made a movie about it, mm. about gays in the military, and it was like a dream role for me. Oh, I you mean, really were up in the West Hollywood theater scene. <laughs> so I played, I played like this hayseed from Arkansas who was like talking about, hey, man, I had a cow I used to fuck named Bessie. Let me tell you about it. And it was just like a perfect role for me. Mm-hmm. Just the Southern, like, hey, man, fun guy. Just from the Virginia stuff, not with the cow fucking. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, but okay. so that, that role was a great role for me. I was, walk, I was ripped. I was on stage naked the whole time. I was getting all this attention. Doodle out? and Doodle out. And kicking a boodle. And wh- how many seats? 99? That was 200. How, did, how are the reviews on the doodle? <laughs> There's articles about it. <laughs> Look at yeah, you haven't Jamie. Made- we have the same doodle. We've I, talked about our doodles. No, we have I, similar doodles. Yeah, you've got a great doodle. We so both have, we both look at each other doodles. Said, yeah, but you doodle. You gotta have you know. But you remind me more of like uh, you're like a coke can. You know what I mean? <laughs> you might not get to the back, but you're gonna the, the sides. The sides are gonna get a workout. You know what I'm saying? Am I wrong? Small. But so, but I was thinking you have to fill that thing with with blood when yeah. you're out there. Oh, I always, I always fluffed. I always fluffed pre-show. You got to fluff. You do a little blah, 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 Because I went out for that horse play. Equus? Yeah, big. I was a big Pasadena Playhouse. I was already getting the name and movies, and that was like the move to get legitimacy. And I went yeah. down to the wire, and then I didn't get it. But I was like, I was like looking on like things like that. It was early internet of like how to keep the doodle fall. Because <laughs> that's what you have to do. You got to shave the pubes. Yeah. You got to do a little pregame fluff. To look at to pubes. What he's telling everybody is this, the pubes are shaved to make it look like you got more. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, you know, we're not, we're not being used... I mean, for me, I'm being stored. You know what I mean? You probably got a little bit more out of the cupboard <laughs> without being used, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. No, I need. To, I did a little pull and fluff, a little pull and spank. So yeah, so you got that, and you had. So you were happy every night. You whipped it out. Yeah, you probably great. got a lot of good reviews. Great reviews. Yeah. New York Times said it's the best thing on a stage and the New York stage this fall. You got a then lot I of got invites to fire. Wait, you got invites to dinner parties. I definitely had, you know, what's funny is I was a go-go dancer in New York for years, right? I did so much. And uh, I mean, they're all the same thing, kind of right, like dance. But I was a go-go dancer and I would dance for straight crowds and sometimes gay nights. Yeah. Gay dudes were always so much more polite than the women. The women would like just grab your junk and they come here, fuck, get over here, fuck me. And guys were like, hey, can I buy you a drink? Guys were always so polite and nice. 
We have to talk about this later because I want to get to that. But you know what that is? Michael Addis has a great quote on it. He goes, when are we going to attack drunk privilege? Oh, God. That's hilarious. Right? Yeah. And then a good, because that's, I totally agree with that. But, okay, so you're, you get on stage, you, do, you get fired. How, why do you get fired? Because, first of all, as you know, Jamie, like, I have a problem with authority. <laughs> yes, you do. Um, which, you know, I've apologized to you about that already. <laughs> But I just don't like people telling me what to do all the time. And I also feel, and I know that's a problem I've had to like work on in my life, but there was a time where I had to wear my own underwear and I wore an American flag uh, boxer underwear because I thought it was funny and my character would wear like he wore a SpongeBob, whatever. And then um, I got a note before the show said, don't wear the American flag underwear. I go, okay. why not? And they didn't tell me why, but they didn't provide any, any other underwear. So I'm looking to start my scene. It's not there. Someone moved my, like they hid it from me. Mm -hmm. So I went to the stage manager backstage and I go, you know, it's the plays running. It's halfway. I go, I go, where's my American flag? Can I just set this up for normal people? So you understand is like every night you have a set system. Yeah. And if your prop is not there and they, they call curtain no matter what. Yeah. You're kind of, you're fucked. Yeah. So that's like a huge, that's a stress. I know what I had. They didn't provide me underwear. So I said, where is it? You're not supposed to wear it. Okay. And I said. He said, you're not supposed to wear your fucking underwear. I said, I said, this is the middle of a show and you've done shows. You can't, when people talk to you that way in the middle of a show, you're like, oh, so I said, I said, don't talk to me like that in the middle of a show. Okay. Talk to me after. She goes, I'll say whatever the fuck I want to. It was a lady? A lady. Okay. So I go. You also have a problem with female authority. We'll address that in a little bit. Maybe. Yeah. So I go backstage. Oh, that's, then I go back. I said, said, talk to me after. Don't talk to me in the middle of a show. And then she said, I'll say whatever the fuck I want. And I said. I said, I said, no, you won't, you fucking cunt. And I, and I had like a Ricola and I went and I, and I threw it at her like, like fucking cunt. I threw it out like, dude, I was f- like literally that after the show, I said, can we, t- I want to talk about what happened backstage. I was like yelled at and cursed at. And can I just talk about it? Cause, and they were like, no, whatever. We, we don't have to talk about it. Not a big deal. Don't, don't talk about it. The next day my agent calls me and says, you've been fired. So, and I was like, I tried to call the director. I couldn't talk to anybody i was like fucking like out dude they were like you can't come back to the theater and then they went around to all the female cast members to see if i was engaged in any sort of campaign of sexual harassment because i used the c word wait what year was this this is 2003 this was an you were you always been early <laughs> this was a premature me too crazy wow because well, I just said, I said, and I, you know, well, hold on. No, there's a couple of things we have to address there. Mm-hmm. You called her a cunt. Yeah. But people have called me cunts in the business all the time, men and women. And it's not a big deal. But, you know, in this day and age. But back then, I've heard cunt being used all over town. Yeah. The throwing of the Ricola ain't a good look. Where did it hit? Hit her leg. Okay. Yeah. I didn't I mean, like whip it out of her face. But so I get fired. And at that time, and I'm I guess, surprised they didn't let you talk about it because back then that would have been like, oh, I was emotional. Let's get through it. Yeah. I guess I was like, tw- I don't know, maybe what was like 27 or something like that. And I was just like, so, um, 28 and I was just so, it was like the end of my world. Like I'm now blackballed from New York theater, which was all my life. I thought I would never work. And I didn't. So lose- no one would even talk to you. You didn't have one fucking friend. And the funny thing about it is the cast, the members of the cast who are all doing really well. I mean, Matt Del Negro, who's killing it right now. Michael Doyle, Chad Lowe, 
those are the three main cast members. We were all like, we're a team. If one of us goes, we all go. Chad's a good guy. Chad Great left guy. you out to dry? Yeah, they all let me out to dry. <sighs> Chad said, I got your back. And then it happens like, dude, what am I going to do? Quit the show? And I was like, <laughs> you gotta, that's, you, a, that's yeah. the town though, right? That's this town. Everyone's like, dude, you're my homie. I got your back. Everyone step forward, support, and then everyone steps back. That's his fucking town. Chad, you know? he had to eat. So of course. Ahead. And he was you, also the name for the show. You threw a time. cough drop. <laughs> so what happened? So, so, and I was, of course, depressed. And then I get a phone call from the New York Post, a guy named Michael Riedel, who they was- really went, you're lucky you didn't have fucking MySpace back then. <laughs> Go ahead. So, Michael Riedel, who was the gossip columnist for New York Theater, which is, what a bizarre fucking job. I don't think he it exists anymore. It's big. Page six. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't page six. But so, he was like, I wanted, I heard he got fired. I think that's called like on the town. I know that section of the Post. So, he said, I heard he got fired, so I want to write an article about it. And I'm like, I, I, no comment, no comment. Hung up. Then he called me. This is my first exchange with the press, which has been always spotty. So he called me back later and he goes, well, you said no comment, but your director said this. And this person said that. So any comment? And I'm going like, uh, this motherfucker. So I made a conscious decision to say, to do like a Statue of Liberty play. So I said, Oh, wow. He said that about me? Well, you know, instead of, he also said about me, he also told me, he also would comment on my penis during rehearsals and group notes. True or not? True. What would he say? He would say, uh, you looked a little big today. You got to keep it, keep it, you know, a little too much blood flow there. I never had like erection, but like the baby's a little fluffed. But was it an actual note for the play? It if was he didn't always, want he'd it always be, do it funny. And if he always, didn't want to be distracting. My character's name was Boner. Okay. So... <laughs> And you weren't on Growing Pains? <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Wait, was the director gay or straight? Not that it matters. Would you think he was hitting on you or actually giving you an acting note? No, I think it was just, I don't know. It didn't, look, New York theater, and I've done enough of it to know, like, who, who watches New York theater? Long Island, Jewish community, and gay people. If a play oh, is- No, all blue hairs too. Blue hairs, but usually those are like the New York Jews, right? Matt Nays. And if they get, if they adopt a play and like a play, the play is going to be a hit. It's done. It's on to run forever. You know what I mean, if you have a play where the gays don't like it and the blue hairs don't like it and the, the Jews in Manhattan don't like it, it's over. Okay. You know? So me being with my dick out, I mean, Take Me Out became a huge hit because there's guys' dicks on stage. So there's nothing wrong with it. And I was never, I wasn't like jerking it backstage. I just had like, it was a little, little fluff, little, yeah. you know? You wanted to be, you wanted your, you I wanted want, to represent my people. No, like you would do vocal warm up. <laughs> Same yeah, type exactly. of thing. Yeah, exactly. get the blood flow. So, gotcha. And it was never bad, but he would just make little comments and jokes about it in funny ways. Like, well, like, uh, I forget what it was, but little things like, little comments about it. He's okay. like, it's good to make, good to make use of your assets, but that's a little bit too much or whatever it was. In front of the whole cast. In front of the whole cast. It was never appropriate, right? Today, that's five to eight in a felony. Yeah. So, um, so I kind of did a Statue of Liberty play and I said, oh, he's saying this. Well, he was saying this. So, so the Statue of Liberty plays meaning you're doing a fake out. Yeah. Basically, well, I, the real story is here, but make it look like it's about this. Got it. So an article about me getting fired became an article about my penis. So wow. it's still online. The article is called naked, naked aggression. You can Google it. And, um, so it didn't really hurt, it hurt my career because I lost certain jobs because some people heard that I got fired. So, so let me ask you this. So you, the director, you are, first of all, is he still working? 
His name's John Hickok. Oh, you put it right on blast. I don't care. Fuck him. It, it, you know. And you feel that he fired you unjustly. Absolutely. I mean, it was at the very least, you have could a just say, hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I did that. I'm sorry I said the C word. It was in the middle of a show. You hid my underwear. You know how it is. You're in the middle of a show. Dude, I get heated. I get it. You know what I mean? So hold on. So then you, so then you were like, fuck him. I'm going to fuck, but you didn't make this shit up about him. No, no. But he was he was But you I mean, didn't feel uncomfortable, dude. Of course not. Of course not. So it's it's a little bit A guy a making jokes about having a big dick on it's not gonna make me feel like, oh no. But I was like, hey, if oh. I make it seem that way. No, it was completely manipulative what I did, for sure. Absolutely. But I was also getting fired and the guy was like going to write the article whether I approved it or not. So I said I might as well. And the director the was basically not helping you at all. Not even saying, Hey Bill. You were a psycho. I get it. You were in the moment. It was psycho. Apologize to so-and-so, but I, we're going to let you go. But he didn't even do that. that no one really even hurt. talked to me. That hurt your feelings. I get it. What was weird is they brought me back for the last weekend to do like two shows. It was very Did odd. you say no? No, I came back. Oh, fuck. Then how was the fucking on set? It was because my cast members loved me. It was fine. It was just a weird. It, Does it, he know that you did this or is this being exposed for the first time? No, he, he knew I came back and did the last. Like, Does the shows. director know you did this? Or that, is, are you being I t- intentionally made it about? Yes. My no, he doesn't know that. So now it's out there. Yeah, I don't care. Do you think that's manipulative? Absolutely. Do you think that's fucked up because you got your career taken down that you try to take someone else's career down? Oh, I see where we're going with this, JK. Well, I, you know what it was? It was. Sometimes when you talk to people, you don't really think about the future. You just kind of react like they said that because I first said no comment. And then we said, well, the comment was this about you being unprofessional, changing the blocking, that you guys were all unprofessional. And weren't, and meanwhile, we were all professional and we all loved working on the play together. So he was saying that about us. I was like, he, he said, we're unprofessional. Well, look what this guy did. So it was me being a little petulant. So he was shitting on all you or the whole cast? The whole cast. In what? The article? Yeah, when he was reviewing, uh, talking to Michael Riedel, he was like, well, they were unprofessional. They were changing their blocking, which is against equity rules. So, wait, like, the yeah. director was talking to the Gossam columnist. The yes. Gossam columnist was writing an article. Yeah. It was about you being fired. Yeah. You felt you were fired unjustly. Yeah. So then this guy shit, not just on you, he shit on Chad and everybody else. Yes. And you're like, fuck him. You know what he did? Yeah. So even though it didn't really affect you, you're like, the guy says I have a fluff my dick less. Fuck him. He commented about my dick too much to get back at him. Yes. Okay. Yes. It makes sense. Yeah. I mean, was but it a his- high integrity move? No. Do mm-hmm. I feel guilty? No. Is he, has it affected his career one iota? <laughs> I don't know, man. He was a musical theater guy. Uh, you know, I don't really see, I saw him around like once after that, just on the street. I was like, Hey man. And I haven't seen him since. I don't know. Here's the thing that's fucked up about it. If it wasn't true, but it was true, but you didn't care. So you really shouldn't have did that. But I understand why you did it. Yeah. Because you know, this is what we rally against. Yeah, we're talking about the bullshit. I mean, so I you're didn't care, but I, 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 I didn't care, but I also like didn't like it. No, you didn't. Like, of course, you didn't. And it was in a group of people. It's unprofessional. Yeah. And did he say that about? It was any, embarrassing for did, sure. Did he say yeah. that in front of any females? Of course, there were two females in the cast. No, but did he say that about their breast? If they were out, would he have said that? Yeah, of course not. No, exactly. Yeah. So, dude, that's fucking amazing. Okay, so let me just. I have questions, but we can go with the flow of it. So how did you start into comedy then? So So after I got fired from that play and I felt like my life was over, 
which I think happens like every once, every like six years. <laughs> yeah. I was um, really kind of depressed. I had a buddy of mine who was doing comedy in New York, like open mics. And he'd always told me to do it because he thought I was funny and that I could do something with it. And um, I was like, I don't know, man. So he basically said, look, I'll pay you 20 bucks and I'll get you a taxi to come down to this open mic called Surf Reality in the Lower East Side. Who is the guy? His name's Jeff Glass. He's an old buddy of mine. Um, How so, old were you? I guess I was like 28, 20, yeah, 29. No. If you started in 05. Oh, I guess I was probably 30, 30 32. 30, so I started 05. No, maybe you were, yeah, 32. 32 30, 30, 31. Yeah, okay. So, um, yeah, so I, I went down there. I got hammered, put the name in the hat. I did three minutes and I don't know how like your first set was like what you were doing. Like, I don't know if it was at that time you were doing a lot of voices and impressions and characters, but for me, all I had was like physical comedy. That was my only foray into anything funny. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think I was literally doing Pratt falls and maybe it was a little derivative of Dane Cook. I was like jumping around, kicking inanimate objects. I don't know. But like, um, no one laughed. I think I got one chuckle and I had two realizations. One is that it's not so bad to bomb. Wow. Like you first said, you think like, I remember when I was a child, I watched that movie fame and the guy bombed in front of like industry and you're like, Oh, and then when you actually bomb, you're like, who fucking cares? It's not that big a deal. So I bombed a and B. I also didn't want to bomb anymore. It was a a twofold thing of like, it's not that bad, but I want to be better at it. So then I just Eminem'd it and got the mic and I literally bought a microphone, stood in front of the mirror and did a bunch of shit. And I had, I think my first, joke that worked was about spooning my girlfriend maybe which I probably did for the next seven years and then I did a joke about like different races picking up women on the street like that type of like simple shit you know? yeah <laughs> but it's a good it's a good start wait uh, the bombing thing is not our fault because if the industry didn't rate you whether you bombed or not we yeah. would, I would bomb a lot more if clubs didn't say well you're bombing yeah you know what I mean or it's hard to grow within the ecosystem if you want to. So that's why you have to get with a club or a a movement that where you can go and bomb and try. And and it's hard if people, that's why I don't like to do new jokes. I like to do like workout nights and I'm like, please don't buy the ticket because it's going to be a mess and people charge 20 bucks and it's like, Oh God, you know what I mean? So that's a whole other convo. But so you go, and then you start in the scene right away, take any time, or boom. I just started, so basically my journey with it was, I started doing bringer shows at the old Gotham Comedy Club on 22nd Street. That's where I used to play all the time. Did you do the bringer that. shows? No, I used to do that Gotham. I love that Gotham. Great club. And I would do, it, like, basically a person per minute. So That's up by the meatpacking district. Uh, the, the old one was on the west side. Yeah. Uh, on the east side. Okay. Yeah. It was between the and six. Anyway, but I would do, bring 10 people for 10 minutes. And at the time, I, I was like pretty, pretty soon out of school. I had enough of it so I could get people to come. And it's funny because Bill Burr mentioned this in one of his podcasts. He said that you, you get into comedy for a certain reason, like the, the thing that you want to do. And then the industry and everyone else tells you to do something differently. And then you kind of go towards that. And then you end up going back to the thing that you always want to do. So true. So I always, for me, like I don't have a connection to stand-up comedy if I'm not like physically invested in it. I just don't. So I think when I started, it was just like, like literally auditioned for, I think something called White Boys in the Hood, I auditioned for it on Showtime. 
And they were all like, well, Bill's going to book it because he does all this race stuff. He's a white boy from the hood. He's killing it. And then she saw me. She said, yeah, he killed it, but it's just stunts. He's just doing stunts. And that really stuck with me. Like, wow, I'm just doing stunts. What were your, what were your jokes? Just like physical moves and shit? <sighs> I think my, cl- <laughs> my closer at the time was... And then I saw Chappelle do something similar, but I don't think I took, took it from it. If I did, it was inadvertent. But it was a joke about... Wonder Woman. Did you ever see this bit I did? Mm. I talked, I had this whole bit about superheroes and how stupid they were. They'd make sense. And I said, Wonder Woman never made sense because um, she had an invisible plane, but she was visible. So what's more conspicuous? A little Cessna flying through the sky or a woman with star-spangled hot pants and double D cups in midair? Like, and I ripped off my pants. I flipped my shirt and I ripped off my pants. So I had my shirt flipped and I was like, Stuck my butt out like like flying a plane. I think I remember this. <laughs> so I had like my my Eddie. American flag boxers from the play, by the way. Oh shit! <laughs> and then my flipped shirt, and that was my big like closer. And it would get a laugh. Yeah. But in the day, you're still sitting there with the flipped shirt and your pants off, and you have to get off stage. It was always a little. Looking back, I understand why a lot of comics at the time were like, "Who the fuck is this guy? What the fuck is he doing?" It's a little like humiliating. <laughs> but hey, you're trying. Yeah, exactly. So. How did you get involved with the Laugh Factory? So, uh, when I first was coming out to LA for pilot season in the early 2000s, I would see a show at Dublin. So, you ever do Dublin show? Jay's show? Yeah, at Dublin? I did it. Yeah. I, I, was, I was already on my way when that was popping, but I, would yeah. pop, I popped in like three times. I think I might have seen it there before. And that, I mean, but that was the hot spot. There should be a documentary about that. The amount of comics that came up, I mean, Sebastian, Ralphie May, oh, Dan Cook, yeah. Bobby Lay, Alonzo Bowden, you. Yeah. It was insane. So, um, and it was in a bar and it was packed and everyone yeah. was beautiful. Yeah, and, it was the first time you ever saw people that were over a five at a comedy club. <laughs> yeah. Because I felt like in the 90s, comedy was still in that relegated to that world where it was like, either you're the comic, the Jerry Seinfeld, like blazer and jeans guy, or you were like the leather jacket guy and nothing else. No, no, no. But I was telling somebody else this. Uh, blazer guy, leather jacket guy, angry lesbian, ghetto black dude, fat, you know, disenfranchised, uh, you know... Mexican, like the, the stereo, the archetypes were huge. It's nothing like it is today. Exactly. But, but the POVs were strong. Very strong. And yeah. the fucking voices were unique. Yeah, for sure. So go ahead. So um, I think when I went to Dublin's and I saw, I saw like Dane, I saw like, wow, you can just be a dude. Chappelle rolled up there too a few times. Yeah, it was amazing. My God, I wish there was a documentary. Anyway. Um, I was like, and I think Dane for a lot of people, a lot of people maybe don't want to admit it now, but I think Dane really was a seminal comic in the sense that thousand percent he introduced a, a type of comic to the world, which was like the dude. He wore a baseball cap and he wore a Bruins jersey and he just ran around stage and was goofy and talked about funny shit and and his ability to sort of galvanize a crowd and make a crowd laugh was fucking unreal, dude. People forget that. How amazing he was live. I mean, it was, I had never seen anything like it. He, he would, I think when people would, they would almost like self combust. Yeah. They'd be clapping and laughing so hard. Yeah. No, he, he would destroy. He would level destroy. Rooms. It yes. was insane. So, yes. but he was also at the time very relatable to a group of guys just coming up in their 20s and early 30s who were going, like, wait a second, this is something that you can, I don't have to be the blazer guy in the jeans. I don't have to be like the smartest. I don't have to be George Carlin. 
I don't have to be that tortured either. You know, there's this idea that you had to be like really weird and tortured and bleh, like Bill Hicks. Right, alt comic. Yeah. So, uh, and this is sort of before the alt comedy thing happened. No, alt comic in the 90s. Bro. I guess you're right. It was around forever. Yeah. Been around forever. Dude. Um, but it was kind of alt comedy was coming up and then the Dane kind of crest was coming down and the intersection was probably like 2007, 2006, I think. Anyway, I was never good alt comic, needless to say. So, um, d- People like Dane and Alonzo and, and Sebastian, they just made me realize, like, wow, you can just be a guy talking about guy stuff. So I auditioned for The Laugh Factor on the Tuesday where you wait in line all day. Mm-hmm. I was that guy. I did that, too. And um, for some reason, Jamie, it was one of those things. I think it was similar with you, man. Like, I I would see the marquee, The Laugh Factory, and I would visualize my name on the marquee, like, driving up. This is before I was a comic. Mm-hmm. When I first started thinking about, I was out for policies. I would just picture my name on the marquee. It's like one day I'm going to be on the marquee. I never really thought about the other clubs. So when I did my three minutes for Jamie, and I don't even remember what the fuck I did. I'm sure I like kicked at the air and did the worm or something. Probably had an underwear with a star on it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jamie's like, buddy, I don't think you're ready to be comedy yet. You know, you give it a couple. I was like, and I said, Jamie, and I'm not this guy, but I was like, Jamie. This is my club. This is going to be my club. We're going to work together. We'll have a relationship forever. So just embrace it now, man. I'm telling you, dude, this is happening. <laughs> and I'm not that guy, but I just felt it. I was just like, I, I wanted to work at that club. And um, so he was like, all right. And then he kind of sort of passed me to the next level. And you had to wait like five months to go again. Hold on. You got in on your first wait? No, you get passed from the three minute to like the five minute showcase. And then after that, they had a brief management team. And then they saw me off Broadway in a two-hander play with Dan Loria and he signed me from that and he wanted to be my manager at the time at the time he was managing people which is no longer a thing so I became when they opened the New York comedy laugh factory which is where I met you yeah I was kind of the house MC I was MC and I look back now I'm like Jesus Christ it's I didn't even recognize how lucky I was because I was I was like the MC for fucking Mark Barron, for Chappelle, for Greg Giraldo, for you, for fucking Louis C.K., for Jim Gaffigan. And I was the guy, either the featured MC, like every time they came in town. Dude, do you know how lucky you were? <laughs> I mean, now I do, yeah. You were a year in, and forget that, you were also starting to get spots at Dublin's, right? No, I never did Dublin's. But you would just go there. I was, yeah. The, look at all the names you just named, dude. Isn't that crazy? I know because, wow, dude, because that's, that's incredible. But I never looked at comedy for some reason. I never looked at comedy as like, this is my career or this is what I should do for my career. I said, this is an expression for me. It's fun for me. I'm not good yet. I want to get good. I love it. But I never really, I look at all those connections that I never, I made, but I didn't make. But when I saw you and I saw your standup at the time, I was like, I want to work with this guy. I'm going to work with this guy. Really? Yeah. I was like, I want to work with Jamie. And I think, so Jamie Masada said, buddy, you should take this guy on the road. He's no good right now, but take him on the road. I'll tell you what he said, but what made you want to work with me when you had all those other guys? I'm, did you I, talk, I'm sure you talked with Chappelle and Gaffigan and Louie and Mark. Um, well, Mark was actually the only headliner that was really mean to me, you know, not surprisingly. He would like, after I get up on stage, he'd be like, look at that, what the guy's fucking talking about, jerking off? Jesus, way to fucking uh, help your career there, buddy. <laughs> I was like, oh, what do you say? And then he'd kill, then he'd apologize to me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but did you hang with the other comics like you did me? Not really, man. I've always been a private guy. I've always been, I'm not much of a, a But everybody dude. was, so let me explain this to you. Let me just say this. 
we're killing already. So I go, you don't even know how I did this. So I have a long history with the Laugh Factory, but I would say it's a club that people know me from acting. But I would say that's the club that made me an actor. Wow. In terms of agents, we had something called Showcase Night, which they never had now. And it's a casting director who look for new talent, TV executives. And so that was the place to do it. And uh, I mean, the first time I ever got a serious bump was I was auditioning for Jeannie Garofalo's Comedy Central show. And I was about to go up and I had my five minutes. I was all ready. And um, they go, you're getting bumped. And I'm like, by who? <laughs> And uh, I walk in and all I see on stage is my wife, my wife. <laughs> and I'm like, Rodney Dangerfield? And Jamie goes, buddy, he doing tonight show? And I'm like, ah! but it's Rod. That's my first bump, bro. That's crazy. I know. And uh, I was, it was amazed. It was incredible. So like that's, who could say that right now today with all, yeah. it was like that, right? So. He goes in, he destroys, you know, you've been bumped by crazy people. So then you have to go in and like, and now me and all that shit. Yeah. The worst is we get bumped for like an hour. Yeah. No, but Rodney did the tightest five killed and fucking just, and I was like, wow. So I, so I start getting popular and stuff and, um, I do my special, I'm going to tell you. So I do my special and it goes on Comedy Central and I have all these DVDs. And this is when DVDs were like a thing. You could sell a DVD for like 25 bucks after a show signed. Yeah. And like Larry the Cable guy's like, man, just get out there. They're going to buy all, you're going to buy a million DVDs, you know? I don't know if that's the right voice, but <laughs> so I would fucking bring stacks of DVDs. And so James, at the time in New York, I would do Caroline's, I would do Gotham, I would pop into the cellar, I'd do all that, you know? But Jamie Masada and his beautiful, Deal making ways says, uh, buddy, you have a lot of. Uh, I, I can't I have to think of his voice again. He's like, You have a special? And I'm like, Yeah. And he's like, Do you come? Would you like side of building? And so that's you, right, bro. So he's like, By the way, 42nd and 8th, which was the most trafficked spot in Manhattan at the time, bro. So do it's, you know the voice better than me right now because I can't think of it, but he's like, Buddy. He's like, he's like, buddy, do, do, if you want, I put you on the side of building for two years. You come to my club three times a year and you can never do another club in New York for those two years. And then I leave you on the building and all DVDs go bye bye. Did you know how big it was going to be? Because it was fucking enormous, dude. I, Here's the thing. It was in. It was insane. Now, if you if you didn't look at it at the right angle, you saw that big L'Oreal ad. I mean, <laughs> and it was a little bit fucking covered. Oh, up. I'm sorry, it's partially blocked, <laughs> yes, but and it was right off that freeway part of the entrance. But fucking sure enough, every time I came off that part of the LIE, you know, going to New York City, there I am on the fucking building. And my agent's like, "You're why are you making this deal? You're fucking crazy." I'm like, "Cause I got." 70,000 DVDs and I need to move them. And it was like a hundred foot high billboard. Yeah, it was, it was not small. Ma- I've had people in New York go, dude, you're on the fucking, look, you look like you need a shower. It was going on washed <laughs> on this and 48th and was it Broadway? 42nd and 8th. Yeah. 42nd and 8th. Yeah. So I was like right there in New York. Yeah. So I was like, so I was like, okay, so what is this? So I go in and he took over, I believe the old peep world. Oh, show world. Yeah. Show world, which was a big, uh, adult, 
fun time place. I guess it goes strip club or a peep shows or whatever. Both. And he's got this club. It's a Mecca. I fucking love this club. One of the greatest times I've ever had. He puts you up in that big ass Hilton. You'd st- I'd stay for a week. And I would do fucking three nights, three shows a night. I would yeah. go in that little baby room. I would do the showcase room. And I, I swear, dude, I feel like we would do shows until 3.30 in the morning. Yeah, sometimes they had, I think sometimes they had literally five shows going. Yeah. Or at least four. Yeah. He had like four or five different rooms. It felt like the store of, of, of it was so bustling, dude. It was so much fucking fun. Yeah. And you had, you know, fucking... You had Swedes that just came off and they're on their weird time clock from, you know, a, a, a fucking, what's the thing in Sweden? What's the big city? It's Stockholm. You had drug dealers. You had pimps and hoes taking mm-hmm. a break. You, you had, had the mafia because the club, the show world was one run by mafia, uh, by he, Richard Bastiano. So don't he'd bring the name. Well, he's dead now. Okay. Well, God bless him. Yeah. Anyway, so he'd bring his like... And it was a classic, like the mob wives with the fucking hair and the oh, jewelry yeah. decked out. Yeah, you had those guys. You had Wall Street dorks that were still coked out, mm-hmm. that were just going to stay up all night. You had guys bringing their side pieces. Mm-hmm. Dude, I've never, ever, ever played a more diverse crowd. Yeah, for sure. Black, white, Puerto Rican, gay, straight, trans. You're talking about all the trans stuff. Now, this is like what's so funny. It's like, dude, I grew up in Philly. Like, I grew up with trans. I mean, we always... Every LGBTQAI in there, right? Yeah, like, for sure. And it was just this fucking... And then, like, you got... I think we got some famous people pop in. So, at the yeah. time... At the time, I think Chappelle had already left and kind of was doing his, you know, pilgrimage of, you know, his next chapter. And we had the same agent. I remember, like, asking, like, what's he going to do? And my agent was like, he's just going to do stand-up. That's what he wants to do. And at the time, Masada... Was the only guy kind of he was working for. Yeah. He, it was him, and he would do, I believe, the club in Punchline in San Francisco. Oh, wow. And so he, so like Jamie's like, Dave Chappelle doing it, you can do it. <laughs> like, you know, Louis C.K. doing it, you can do it. And he really courted me. Yeah. And my agent's like, why are you turning that? But I was just like, look, I need the billboard. I'm a business guy. I'm an entrepreneur. Boom. Anyway, so... For like two to two and three, two and a half years, I loved it. I would play that club three times a fucking year. Yeah, and you were the house MC, so I brought Stu. I don't know who my middle Stu, was at the Stu time. Stu Stone. Stu uh, would rap with me sometimes. Yeah, who was your middle at the time? You definitely had some. I probably had Flipperson and Flip came around. Eric Griffin sometimes, but maybe not in New York. But he was at, he was a middle for you for a while. No, really, Eric Griffin. Yeah, I feel like I've done shows with Eric Griffin, but maybe years. maybe he was there. Okay. But so I go and you get up. It's crazy you're only a year, year and a half because you were killing. The showroom was fucking and fantastic. It's fantastic. You but were killing. It also and and to speak to that, it's also in a weird way, it was it was good and bad training because you get conditioned to kill, right? And we all know that killing doesn't equate to good comedy. Exactly. Right? Like, you can hump a stool with a Chinese accent and kill. Yes. You can do a lot of hacky shit and kill. Yes. So I'm not saying that everything I did was hacky, but some of it was at least hacky adjacent. Dude, I go down hacker train all day. We know this. It's fun. But <laughs> so you you get up there and you do way better. I knew nothing about you. 
And we're selling DVDs. And so Jamie Masada had the trick. And he's like, fuck it. I would have big lines. And we have drunk bachelorette parties and all that <laughs> shit. That's when I was wearing like a blazer. But I was like a mix between blazer and like cool like seven jeans comic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and uh, that's when I was rapping and comedy. And yeah, Larry the Cable would come out. You guys would rap together. Yeah, we'd mix it up. I'd give a show. And I, I thought you could do that. And Larry the Cable Guy's manager, JP, he was a great guy. He was like, look, man. Either fucking rap or fucking do jokes. <laughs> Don't confuse the fucking audience. And I was like, well, then Donald Glover fucking smashed that. Yeah. But like at the time, I was like Lonely Island. Yeah, you were the only. Yeah. Yeah. This they weren't there Lonely yet. Yeah. And whatever. I'm early. I mean, again. Circle Circle Dot Dot is still a fucking dope ass rap, man. Thank you. I heard it the other day. I was like, God damn, this is good. It's it was Circle Circle Dot Dot. Get that COVID shot. People are saying that. <laughs> yeah. So 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 I'm sitting there, and so Jamie Masada, fucking the killer businessman, he is he's like. He would take the fucking DVDs and he would go and he goes, what's your name? And he'd rip it. He'd have somebody rip it off. He'd have you rip off the fucking thing. And then they'd go, Nicole. And she'd be like, I'll do Nicole, love you. And then he'd go, let's go. And she goes, I don't know if I want to buy it. And he goes, it's already signed, $35. <laughs> and he would charge. This was 2006. Yeah. It was the summer. It was hot as fuck. And he's charging his bachelor. 10 bachelorettes on roll through. I make 350 just off of 10 DVDs. And I'm like, you're yeah. The best night I ever heard, had was in that fucking club. I think I made twenty eight hundred DVD Christ. sales just because he signed them all. I go, you, it's already signed. It's already Wait, he signed, signed. Your name? Yes. <laughs> and they go take picture and Stu and Stu and, That's the and best. then Stu be like, "What's the MySpace pin?" Bam, you would fucking unwrap it. Done deal, right? Yeah. We had a system, and he's like, "This guy is uh, it's good. You should bring him on the road with you." And I'm like, "Why?" And he's like, "He's like, just bring him on the road." I'm like, "I got Stu." He's like, "On the road, he need road." I trust me, he good. And so he's fucking pushing you down my fucking throat. <laughs> and then I'm doing like a joke, like the next show. And then like you gave me like a tag and I did it and it worked. And then that's kind of how it started. We like the same things. We yeah. like to go out to clubs after bottle service. You have a good time. You yeah. Know? You would always, and you would always crack me up. Yeah. We would laugh. Like you're, you're funny. And I, I would always tell people like, Jamie's funny. He's a funny actor, funny comic. When you're out and about, like messing with people like when we were in Iraq together when you fucked with those guys like just take your pants off <laughs> I don't remember the whole thing with the hotel dude you would have me crying your ability just to like like kind of not manipulate people but also kind of manipulate yeah, people totally. it's fucking it. great man I loved it I was never good at that so I always admired it well thank you and so then you end up I just end up having this tour. I, I, I honestly, I wish that club existed today. I wish that feeling existed today. I wanted yeah. to because I feel like I, know, I right? could go in there with no cameras. I could work on shit. Some bits would kill. Some bits would fucking die. I could fucking high five with a pimp. Talk to a Wall Street banker. <laughs> I could do any joke I want. Yeah. And no one would cry. And I felt like I would get off stage sometimes at like 4 a.m. Yeah. Yeah. And the greatest thing, you don't know if Chappelle was going to roll through. You didn't know if Louis was going to roll through, but they all did. And that's what's so great. And you know what's crazy about it, too, is the club really blew up after the Kramer incident at the Laugh Factory. When Kramer had his meltdown. The West Coast Laugh Factory. In the West Coast Laugh Factory, when he had his meltdown, that shit got so viral that for the next six months, we were like sold out. In yeah. New York, because of that, they were waiting for another TV star. I, to I don't know. I guess it was just name recognition. They just saw Laugh Factory, like, oh, maybe we're going to have a race riot. Let's go in here. Who knows? That was one of the first viral videos in general. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, and you know, Jamie uh, aided that. Oh, for <laughs> sure, he did. This is a guy that when he's just buddy, buddy. 
I think when Magic Johnson announced he had AIDS, don't quote me on this, he had condoms at the Lab Factory. Oh, for sure. For sure, right? Yeah. yeah. So wait, so then I, I meet you, and then we... We start going on the road, and you're writing. I mean, you really wrote and shaped my act. I mean, I always had the ideas and the act outs, yeah. but then you would really made it smart. And I don't think people... I, you wrote some of my best stuff, and you really wrote it with a point of view of a darker POV, because I'm more like fun escapism but people that know me know that my mind will go down the rabbit hole yeah of course and so you looked at me and you're like okay this guy's a lot like me so i can do that and then you wrote some of my best shit and i always i appreciate you for that and and like i guess i don't know if that's blasphemous about writing but like some of my best laughs on my last special chris spencer's like just try this just walking off stage i took two tags yeah murdered or it's crazy. one tag can change so much shit yeah so you would like you would sit and we would fucking organize it and then i would do this and so i mean you could say every comic writes their own shit but i think a lot of and you did you did but just sometimes you would take a and the way you do it is I say, hey, try this. And then the next show, you would try it. And sometimes it would bomb. You look at me like, huh, fucking bombed. And then you, you know. Well, I always say it. this, and I want to say this about that. Two things is that I never considered myself like this great pained writer, although things can come out of my mouth that are great. But I'm, an, I'm like a seer and then a copier of human nature and then putting it through my filter and then the yeah. jokes. And then I try it out. And one of our goats, Louis Anderson, said the same thing. He said he goes on stage, he tries it out, and what laughs, he keeps. Yeah. And that's how you kind of just riff on a bit, right? Yeah. So that's what I would do. And then you taught me, the, I guess, you know, you taught me the idea of, like, how to shape it and then do this and add this and blah, blah, blah. And the thing is that people, I would like to tell this to people, is that you would have a whole bit, and I would say, that's not going to work. And you would go, I'm going to do it first. And you would do it on stage, kill and run it through, and then I go okay, and then I do it the next night. Yeah, and then I'd be like, God damn it, why did you that? Joke? <laughs> yeah, and you're like, why did I just sell that fucking joke? But I think that's awesome. Yeah, and yeah, I think yeah. there's a lot more people that do that. They don't admit it, or they should. Oh, of course, do it. of course, yeah. It's like testosterone sports. They're so, all doing it. No one's admitting it. Yeah. So, dude. So why? Okay. So I meet you. We're on the road. I, I can tell you this is that. We're going there. I'm taking you, which I didn't know you, this about you. I kind of knew you were new, but I didn't know you were that new. So it was like me. It was Stu. I think it was sometimes Al Berman. It was sometimes Flip. It was a mix of people, sometimes a local guy. And we were going to Tempe. We were going to Addison. We were going to Houston. We were going to Cleveland, to York, Chicago. Cleveland, everywhere. And you're opening and emceeing. Someone's middling, or you're sometimes middling, and we have a local MC. Stu would come on in the end and rap. Pittsburgh, we were going everywhere. Colleges then, too. Yeah, then we would go to colleges. BU. We would go to Texas A&M. Then we would go to. Then we started getting festivals, and I took you. Well, I went. I took you to South Africa, and then I got. We the had Philippines. We went to the Philippines. Had an incredible show. We opened up for Vertical Horizon in front of six thousand people, where the <laughs> Thriller Manila was it. And then we were. Then we went to Iraq. We went to Kuwait. We went to with Paul Wall. Some of my best experiences in comedy because of you, for sure, Damien. Well, Without a doubt, I appreciate that. And yeah. we had this whole crew. And Miami, we did a ton of Miami, yeah. Fort Lauderdale, and 
what do you think happened? <laughs> I was waiting for the question. <laughs> I, I, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll say tell this. you what I'll, what I'll say I from the point happened. of view from. Here's where it's weird because San my Francisco, every, everywhere. all A clubs. By the way, San Francisco punchline. San Francisco no, is where pops. we had our our big falling out. Yeah, where pops. you fired me, and then like a week later, I saw um, Funny People, the Judd Apatow movie about a, a feature who gets fired by Adam Sandler in San Francisco. So oh, I was so like, God funny. damn! Yeah, there was movie. there's similarities in that story. I, in try, our story. I told if Judd, I told this Judd this, but that movie is so real; it's unbelievable. Yeah, it really is. This, this, so this is this is my take in retrospect, which is different than my take at the time. In retrospect, oh festivals, Vegas. I put you on. You jets. put me in the Vegas. Remember the fuck festival? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. Let's take that out. We'll okay, go, fine. We'll go around this, but go ahead. I already got talked about. Here's anyway. here's the situation. I I remember I did a show with me and Nick headlining. I was Nick was getting bigger than me, so I Sorts, yeah. was the first comic, and it was like nineteen hundred seats, and Nick closed. I think I got you a spot on that show, didn't I? I don't remember that. Probably, but then in '06, you with within the New York show within like two months, I the, TBS was having comedy festival. Did I bring you to Aspen? We did the HBO Comedy Festival in Vegas. Yes. Yes. And but not so, Aspen. and Bob's like, yo, do you want a middle for me? And Bob's like, I'll have a private jet. I'll do 45. <laughs> you do 25. And there's this guy that's going to be the MC. And I go, dude, I got this opener. He's always with me. He's great. Can he do five? And Bob was like, yeah, sure. So I got us all on a private jet. Stamos's private jet. I remember that. It wasn't Stamos's private jet. I thought it was. No, it was another guy's jet. Oh, okay. And we go up, and <laughs> I so much I got to say to you. Oh, but, but, but here's my question: Is why? Well, I'm going to go back to that. Why do you not? Here's what it is. You're you're so talented, dude. You're a great looking guy. You're built. You can dance. Okay, you can do voices. You got a great fucking writing mind. You can argue and debate with anybody. You're blessed by the black culture. You're a fighter. You're fearless. Why do you not think you are bigger? Ooh, I think there's a lot. There's a lot in that question because a lot of it has to do with obviously my own shit. I have I the up. I have the answer, but you tell me. I've definitely like, for example, getting fired from that play in New York was an example of I was the toast of the town for that part. Everyone was coming to see me. Every agent in New York is coming to see me. I get fired. I the first play I ever did, I co-wrote, and it was shortlisted for the Pulitzer. And I think that I had a little bit of issues with authority, which at the time you just think that you're you you think that you're going for artistic truth and you're tr- if you're trying hard and you care don't get mad at me because i care but the truth is i'm being a pain in the ass and there's always a fine line between going f- going with the flow and going for it right like really give it your all but also being able to let go completely well, every comedian that you know that's yeah. worth their salt all has problems with authority that's why we're doing comedy yeah. so okay, what is so- it about yours that I, I know what it is. You cannot take your L's. That to me is your biggest problem. Ex- I'm not saying it's not you're not you can't do it now. Expand, please. 
It's take your L. My lumps bro. or my losses? Your losses. It's just like with like, okay, let's just say this and it's an old trope or whatever. With women, only because I like women, I've only been with women, it's when you're in an argument with your girlfriend and it's like just they I've had moments with girlfriends where they just need to prove that they're right. They don't want to lose an argument. And it's yeah. like, girl, I conceded five points. Just take the L on this one. Yeah. And they won't do it. And that's when you have to like walk away, get that hour of air. And then they go, okay, well maybe I, whatever I feel I'm not calling you women. Like, although okay. in 2021, <laughs> I'm saying that you have these moments where you just were so stubborn. And I'm sure. like, dude, <laughs> Let it the fuck go, and you yeah. won't. Yeah. And I'm not even saying because if you're right, I'm. I believe I'm very malleable. Yeah, you tell me if I'm wrong about that. Oh, you are for sure. So that's why I think your your problem is you feel like you you want to be right so bad. That's my. Opinion. I, I think yeah. I think that was definitely. I'm sure I still have that, but it was definitely a bigger problem years ago because mm-hmm. I thought being being right was more important than being liked. Because if you're right about something, like what what is more important than being right about this thing? So I would do so many plays where I knew a moment needed this, either in the writing or in the acting. I was like, this is will make this play better. This and I, at the time, I started getting involved with uh, ghostwriting screenplays and and punching up screenplays, and I just became so convinced of my point of view that I was right that I really felt like it was doing that. When people said no, it it just struck me as personal, like. Yeah, you're, you're striking down everything that I care about and I believe in by saying no to this thing that I'm so passionate about. And I would always excuse it as like, well, I'm just passionate. But the truth is, that's true. You are very passionate. But the older I get, the more I realize um, it, it's not about that. You can kind of put that on a pedestal as like it's so important. It's not so. It's it's better to be liked. It's better to work with everybody. It's better to kind of give respect. And I think with you working with you. Cause we were friends. Mm-hmm. Like you were probably one of my very best friends. And I think that that's a tough time when your best friend is also your boss too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So we were friends, but there was also times when you're like, Hey motherfucker, I'm Michael, Michael, you're Tito, get my bags, get my shit. And then I'd be like, but, but we're buddies. Why am I being treated like that? And I think I had to kind of come to terms with like, these are his shows. They're not my shows. So if he wants me to carry his bags and his deep, like, I should do that. Wait, did I make you carry my bags? It wasn't a lot, but it was just a, th- it was just a general feeling of like, feeling like we're peers and as opposed to really getting that, okay, I'm, su- and, I, and I was supportive of you, but there were times you're like, hey, tonight, don't do jokes about this because I'm doing jokes about this. They were never the same joke, but they just had similar. You definitely, I never did that until I was with you. You definitely, we started mirroring each other's styles, whether I yeah. mirrored you or you mirrored me. You, you know, you would do certain shit. And I was like, that was the same fucking premise, bro. <laughs> but I mean, and if you kill with it, I got, and I didn't yeah. have the ability to do an extra five. Like, and so I, was, the, yes. I only had X amount of time. <laughs> so the truth is when you said, don't do that, I should just been like, oh, of course. But then again, I also didn't have enough material. To, but I was like, what do you mean don't do it? Don't tell me what I can't can't do. You know, yeah. then there's like that weird thing that people feed into your ear. Like, don't let people control you. You're a comic. It's about your artistic expression. Well, you would do stuff like, I would do like a black lady at Pepperidge Farm. <laughs> and you would do like, I'm a black lady at the DMV. <laughs> and I'm like, and it's like, it's totally different. 
And then you get up there. And I'm like, wait, that was my black lady. You had a so, better black lady than me. So, which we both can't do it anymore. Yeah, but, but like, no, I think that uh, my feeling is so. So the Saget story is a great, and I, I know it's hot, but I don't care. We're going to keep going. The Saget story is a great example of this. So, so let me set it up for the people. Okay. So, and then I want to tell you what I think about it. Though. Okay. So I get asked. I have this. You know, CIA is my agent, and and they're they're great. And I still rode with you after all this shit. We so, we had a brief fall. I'll we, talk about that. A, yeah. So Bob's like, look, do you? It was simple. Bob's like, look, I I'm gonna fucking do my headlining show. It was it wasn't at the Coliseum, but it was like the next biggest thing at Caesars. It was this huge ballroom. It was like a conference room, big it, conference. No, room. it was like a, a ballroom. Ballroom. Okay. It was like three thousand people. Whoa. Bob was doing like thirty five. I was going to do 20, the the MC did five, and I got you in to do a quick five. And Bob's like, sure, it's great. And then Roger Schiffman, the fucking man, I brought, he was his jet, and I let my buddy Solowitz come, I don't know why, and it was you, and Stu was going to, me and Stu were going to rap because we had Rolling with Bob Saget, and that was the, the, the song that he used for his special that was getting hot, he did Entourage, and then, you know, he would use that song and we'd wrap it at the end. And Bob's like, this is a funny gimmick. And I'm like, let's just get this guy on. And Bob's like, Bob's like, you know, they keep it really tight. But sure, you trust him. I'm okay. Which was a big deal. Yeah. A big deal to ask one of the three name marquee headlining shows. A Friday night sold out show. Who's one of the names that they're building this festival off of. Yeah. So you go up. And I believe you had a good set, but instead of five minutes, you wanted to do 10. And <laughs> all fucking hell broke loose. Now my, now my time? Why? Go ahead. This is what happened. So when this, for me, keep in mind, I've been doing comedy for 2007. No, this was a, this was two thousand six. You were pro- I've been coming for like a year and a half, two two years max. Maybe. Okay, yeah, okay, a year and a half. So, um, I I talked to the people at the HBO Comedy Festival. Yeah. They sent me a contract. The contract said you are doing ten minutes for this thing. So, and it was a month in advance. So I spent that month working. They sent on- you a contract for this guest spot. Yeah, I got paid a thousand dollars. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. So, <laughs> but I'm saying it was like legit. In my mind, I was like, Jesus, this is like the most legitimate thing I've ever done, and it was contracted for ten minutes. So I spent that whole month working my ten minute set, like exactly ten minute set, right? Okay. Every time, every time, you know, I was like, I'm gonna do my ten minute set. That was it. We're on the plane. First time I've ever on a, on a private jet, and it was a bomb private jet, bomb as fuck. And I'm like, oh my god, this is so fucking cool. Getting her bags, walking out. We're in the limo with with Saget, and I guess it's then fiance, whatever. We're getting out. We're about to split off into our hotel rooms, and then before I leave, he goes, "How much time you do?" This is like an hour before the show. How much do I said? I go, "Oh, ten. He goes, "Do five. and he walked away. And I went, and my head exploded because I was like, I, I didn't have the ability to like navigate. Like, how do I? What do I do? So this is what happened. So I call Masada because he was my guy. I said, Jamie, what do I do? And whatever. I mean, he, he's fine. 
if I say this out loud. I go, Jamie, what do I do? Bob, Bob Saget told me to do five. Meanwhile, keep in mind, I also, you, from my point of view, you hired me and you were the headliner. So I didn't realize that you were the feature and Bob, I thought you guys were co-headlining. It was his show. I didn't know that. I thought it was Special your show. Special guest, Jamie Kennedy. Bob Saget's fucking I didn't know show. That. So Special you, guest, Jamie Kennedy. Too. I thought you I were on know, the thing. But it wasn't my show. I thought it was like It a was also show. his jet. I get that, but I thought it was a co-headlining. His so. sweet. Those stakes were because of all him. I get it. I Go. see that now. Go ahead. <laughs> so I call him like, Jamie, what do I do? I don't know how to compare it down to five. And Jamie says in a f- light way, buddy, fuck Bob Saget. Just do, just do. He said, do what the comic do. Pretend you don't see light and do eight minutes. He said, do seven, eight minutes. You'll be fine. Can you do that? And I go, yeah. <sighs> he said, don't do the full 10. Don't do, like, do more, but, like, keep it comfortable. So I did, like, I think I did, like, seven and a half minutes, maybe almost eight minutes. And I don't even think that was a problem. I don't think, I think at one point I saw Bob Pokes, I like, how long is this guy doing? But then I got off stage. So I don't think that was a problem. The problem was that I was writing with Tucker Max at the time. I had a blog and I had my small, this is, like, pre-Google and pre-Facebook and pre-social media. So I had my little blog for my small amount of fans that would read my little blog and get me my, like, $3 a week from it. And the title of the blog was Fuck Bob Saget. And it was not about Fuck Bob Saget. It was about how funny it was that that was the advice. So I didn't shit on Bob. I didn't shit on the show. I just talked about how funny it was. I was like losing my mind because I didn't have the experience to cut a 10 minute set to five minutes and feel comfortable in front of 3,000 people. And he goes, ah, fuck Bob Saget. It just relaxed me like... Okay, fuck, it doesn't matter. Do whatever you want. And to me, it was just Bob Saget is like an American icon. And saying fuck Bob Saget, it was just a funny juxtaposition of words. Now, I didn't realize that pre-Google, there were still search engines that would like aggregate and <laughs> give to people. So Bob's people found this blog. He found it. And he did not like that. Uh, this is <laughs> one of the reasons why I think you're not bigger. Sure, I have plenty of moments like this. Like, why, why did you do that? And to that dude, because you understand, because you, thank God that Bob is a rational human being, but he was not happy. And I had to like co-sign you. Yeah. But the fact that you already went over time, he wasn't happy, but I think you guys were cool. It was the so cool because it was, it was still like but it was seven. Like, yeah, yeah. But then you wrote a fucking blog about it. No, dude, and the blog was not good. You did, you definitely took shots. There were shots. some things in there. I didn't take shots, of, but I definitely was like, I guess I thought like no one would see it. No one cares. It's a small well, group. Why like did you do that? You bit the whatever hand. Need, you didn't bite the hand that feed you. You bit it off. The, whatever you bit bizarre it off. need for validation that I have this of whatever. This is L. This I is get the that. L. And obviously the title was the real problem. If the blog by itself was maybe, but the title was the real problem. I get that. And, um, so I removed it right away and this is the fucked up thing. Cause I was actually, my mom was in the hospital. I mm. thought my mom was going to die mm. and I'm in the hospital and you called me to basically like, dude, I can't work with you anymore. You're like you're off the tour. So I'm looking at my mom on a fucking respirator. Like, <laughs> like I thought my life was fucking over, dude. It was like the worst feeling. Mm, and he'd called Masada at like three in the morning and be like, fuck this guy. Don't let this guy work at your club. And then Jay Davis wouldn't work. A lot of people like heard about it. And I just was like, it was, it was almost like getting fired from the play all over again. I'm like, my fucking comedy career is now over because of this. Um, and yeah, definitely, you definitely hurt. I saw Bob years later and I apologized and he was cool about it. So, you know, 
it wasn't, you know, I, so, so you don't do things to hurt people. Like, I didn't want to hurt Bob Saget. For some reason, I thought it was funny in Why my head. Why did you, what was the whole blog about? The blog was not good. The blog was basically, it's like writing a diary, right? Yeah, but you put it on the internet. Of course, but this is before the internet was the internet. But this the internet was, was the internet, and you didn't realize the internet was the internet. Yeah, it was stupid. So, <sighs> yeah, and that's happened. That's bit me. Things like that have bitten me ass before. Um, so it was dumb, and obviously, if I look back, I wouldn't. Have, I wouldn't have done it. But uh, yeah, it's hard because, I, like I said, I don't. I didn't have bad intentions. It just I thought it was kind of a funny thing, and then when it happened, I probably should have taken the L right away and like removed it right away but I think the first thing I did was try to change the title and try to like change some of the words what did you think what what did you write did you wanted to write like how you basically you're saying the blog was about your fear of it's not that different than what I just told you like you basically said how 10 became 5 and had you adjust it and then your got what got you through it is that phrase yeah and so you were like okay but but you did take some shots at Bob. Did I? I kind of remember. And he was not happy. And he shouldn't have been. Just if he didn't know you, it wouldn't be like yeah, cool. I but the fact I, that he let you yeah, because of at the behest of me. Yeah. There I was like remember, multiple levels yeah. of why you shouldn't have did that. I don't remember taking shots at Bob. You didn't just burn though. one bridge. You burned like three bridges. <laughs> you burn. You burn a bridge with the fucking all around Manhattan an icon. Island. Then you burn a bridge with the guy you're working yeah. with. You probably burned a bridge with the festival and, and with Jamie a little bit Masada for sure. Yeah. Well, he is the one who got you into it. <laughs> did he say anything? Um. Yeah. I mean, you know, he he kind of like. He doesn't really get too involved in the drama and all the But he helped. (laughs) Yeah, it was just, you know, it was one of these things like I felt like this happens a lot where something happens and you just want to talk to the person. Like I wanted, I said, Bob, just call me. I I emailed his fucking age. I said, please just call me. It's misunderstanding. I'm sorry. I did not mean to say anything bad about you. I thought it was like something funny, like fuck Mickey Mouse. Fuck Bob Saget. Why would you say fuck? It it was a cognitive dissonance. You dehumanized him. And let I me, get it. I get it. It was stupid. Let me explain this to you. And I like Bob Saget. I never had a problem with him. So it was just a dumb thing that I thought was funny at the time. Let me explain something to you. I know you're like a porcupine when you get in the corner <laughs> and needles are coming out. But I didn't do it out of like. I know, but people don't know you. Yeah. Here's the thing. This is going to sum you up in a nutshell for me. Oh, I'll, I'll never forget this. We were in Miami. We're doing some show and I was really like I gotta get my next special ready and it was like selling really good and it's a beautiful town and every week I'm in some crazy city and I'd Is already Coconut Grove? Is that what yeah and I'd already been around the world and I've already done a lot of stuff so I'm like you know let's just like I'd already taken the perks of fame and had a great time with them and so now I'm not saying I didn't want them anymore but it's like now it's work mode for this and I remember we were supposed to write at like two. I was going to write from like two to five. And there was so many levels to this. <laughs> I know exactly what you're going to say. Well, I was like, I met a girl. Let's see. So you said, well, yeah, you, you said, and I'm like, dude, it was like three, it was like three o'clock or something. I was getting busy. I was late. And I was like, okay. So I called you like close to three. I'm like, dude, where are the? Where the fuck are you? You're supposed to be in my room. We're going to write for two hours. I'm going to test this shit on the fucking nine o'clock hot show. We'll work it out by seven, not nine, and we'll see where we're at. And you're like, oh, uh, I met a girl, and I went to the beach. 
<laughs> and, um, you know, I'll be there later. And I was like, be there later. Like, you fucking supposed to be here. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. So then I'm like, you got to come back. So then you came back and you're wearing like some fucking like two-tone shorts <laughs> and some leg fucking warmers from Jane Fonda and you're all hairless. And I'm like lost in my mind. I'm like, dude, where the fuck are you? And fucking this. And you go like this. You go, dude, I work with you every fucking week. It was something to the point of, I do this. I fucking in and out. I work for you. I sell merch for you. I punch it up. If I'm going, there's sometimes we come to a beautiful fucking city. And if I can't have three hours at the beach when I meet a new girl to enjoy myself, then I don't give a fuck. And no one to do it. And you lost your mind. And I said, I said, calm down. I'll never forget this. And it's like the power of celebrity. And I was like, dude, calm the fucking down. You're in the wrong. You go, no, fuck you. And I go, just chill the fuck out. You go, I want to fucking rip you in half right now. And you were so mad. And your neck was all bulging in your muscles. And I'm like, fuck you, bro. Fuck you. You fucking need the fucking right. And then you were like, ah. And you like punched through a wall. Or really? walked through a wall. No, you didn't. Like, you were so angry. But it was funny. I never felt threatened. I never felt you were going to punch me. Of course not, yeah. And it was weird. It was like, you still know that, like, I was like your little egg or whatever. And you liked me. Like, you weren't going to take it there. But you were fucking punching the air, screaming. Yeah. You stormed out. You had to get your fucking bearings. And then I think we just did the show and we talked yeah, about it. Is. But the, the thing about it is, and you said that another time, when I needed to work with you in Africa. And I'm like, dude, where are you? And you're like, oh, I'm at the bar. And I'm like, well, we got to take the tape set and transcribe it. You're like, dude, I'm on the fucking shores of South Africa. <laughs> I met a brilliant, brilliant Brazilian girl. And I don't know when I'm going to be in Africa again. So the writing is going to have to wait. I'm like, I don't give a fuck where you are. And, and there was those two times that I was like. But I, because I was like, dude, if we, and I, my mentality was this, I had already been around the world. Yeah. That was the first time I was in Africa, but I've been to Africa f four times total, three times since then. Yeah. And I was like thinking, if you do this right, you're going to go back to Africa. Yeah. We're always going to go back to Africa. We're going to go to Prague. We're going to go to Sweden because I've done these places and I'm like, yeah. I know how it is. But you were like, I don't know if I'm going to get, get here again. So you were like, I have to suck in every bit of what this city is. And I understand it from your POV, but you would just... Who had never really been out of America. Back, yeah, you know? no, dude. And you were barely out of Virginia. You know, so <laughs> that's when I was like, okay, he's got to... That's when I was like, you got to do your own path because you have to go through it and understand people... The, the, Stanislavski has a great quote, and you'll appreciate him more than most people. He says, love the art in you, not yourself in art. Yeah. And I think we all go through these different phases... You know, maybe Bill Hicks, maybe George Carlin, you know, that's about it of like people that just had to do comedy or they would self combust because they were so pained. You know, Kurt Cobain, I believe, was like that. You know, these Al Pacino, like these pure, 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 pure artists that don't give a fuck about anything other than just the art. You know what I mean? They're pure. Yeah. And then there's like people like, you know, people that do it just for the parties, the fucking perks and all that shit and then there's people like i think i'm in between like i think i was like loved the life and i was like oh this is really good and then i discovered i kind of have this ability and then after i absorbed a lot of the life i was like what i have left and i'm like well i might as well be good at it yeah. and really respect it and that's when you hone down and i was in that phase of my career and you were still like 
even though you it's could be this great art. Yeah. yeah, so you're like, well, fucking drink this wine and fucking eat this. And then we got to admit, we were eating great, drinking great, living great, you yeah. know, the whole drill. It was yeah, and like at that time, it was like, yeah, it's time it like was meeting stuff. girls. Yeah. You meet girls doing off-Broadway. Yeah. You know I mean, you meet guys. Yeah. But, so when we were going to every city every week, we would have packed shows and people enjoyed us. So this is what I'll say, Jamie. It's like being a parent. Like, you know, and having a daughter, like, it's not, like, you look at your parents, you know, like, oh, fuck, and then you're a parent, you're like, oh, I get it, you know? Same thing with me, when I became a headliner, and I had features that would kind of drag me down, or kind of go against what I wanted, or run the clock, or whatever the fuck, whatever the thing the feature did that was not helpful, because I'd like to be like, well, I'm a headliner, like, if you're my feature, do whatever the fuck you want, do crowd work for 25 minutes, fucking kill it, if we have similar jokes, I care, but then you start looking at the integrity of the show, and there are times where you're like, Hey man, I'm on the road with you. You got to be, it's my show. You got to be more of the support. And, and so I started realizing, so I, so that's when I realized like, Oh fuck Jamie, I get it. Like I get that even though we were friends and I think what bugged me is cause I wasn't able to compute at the time. Like, wait, we're friends, but he's treating me like an employee and you can be both. By the time I didn't really have the tools to kind of like navigate that. It just felt like it was either we're homies or I'm being treated like a, a, a lackey or a servant. And I was like, what? No, but we're friends. How can he do that? It's, it's a difficult position. There's multiple things you said to this. And I want to comment on It's like, the first thing is just like, remember what you just said is that I did a show recently and I, I listen, I don't give a fuck. Do whatever you want in front of the show. But two things. The only time we only ever had issues because you could do, it was like we would do some premises because you were starting to write for me and you were giving me tags that was literally 95% of the similar joke. And I was like, dude, <laughs> you, you gotta like, just leave me a little bit. But we would do certain stuff and that's happens and that's, and we were okay with it. It was just those moments. But other than that, I actually think I'm pretty good about, I'm very good about, I bring strong fucking comics on the road. Like yeah. people that kill you know i hear stories but people don't know the stuff but that's number one number two is i did a show recently and this guy was just i you know i hate why i don't like to like work with unknowns and he just you ever work with somebody you know having they touch on every topic yeah that's a hot button thing make it not funny instead of getting a laugh they get a ooh and then good night and they burn 15 subjects yeah where if you have a detailed joke about four of them it's gonna it's not gonna pop as much because they fucked it up yeah there's a certain comic that we both know i don't want to know names and they this dude will go on every rant about everything and never have it make, be funny. Yeah. And then you're like, you just burn pretty much everything in the comic. You have to do such a personal act after that because you can't talk about anything topical. Yeah, for sure. So that's the only thing that annoys me about other comics. But you weren't like that. You were just like, we would get similar. But very rarely we had that issue. Yeah, I think in general. You would I mean, kill. Consider how long that we worked together. Kill. We, I think 90% of the time we worked together, we just had a fun time. A hundred percent. And we were then, in clubs and after parties. But wait, I want to comment on And you're good at forgiving people. I am. You would lose your mind and want to punch me. And yes. then like, then we were cool like an hour later. Yes. That's, a, that's one of your talents. I am good about that. <laughs> yeah. But what would you just say before that about what you were just saying? Oh, fuck about. Uh, well, I was saying that w most of the time that we spent together no, was before good. Before that. Um, well, just learning after I became a headliner and learning like what I need from a feature. I don't need much, but there is a certain amount of, you just want the acknowledgement like, hey, this is your oh, show. here's what it is. Yes. This is what, for anyone listening, like people, like 
people don't get that. Like, people hit me up all the time to fucking do spots and stuff. And it's like, my agent trained me from a very young age. She's like, listen, you're a famous guy. You went from doing open mics to doing five minutes at the improv in the store. That's what I did to the factory to getting TV spots. And that's all I had. But now you're getting these headline spots or middling. And so like guys like Saget, guys like Rick Overton, guys like Craig Shoemaker would bring me to the Comedy Magic Club or these different places or Tempe. And they would let me do 15. Gary Valentine, you know, I would do. I would do all the press with them, but I would only have 15 minutes. Yeah. And it was like, but I was still a name. The pressure was off. So it was like a, a name and a new name, right? Yeah. I was like the new name. And then I built. Then I would, So she's like, look, in order to get, I would start getting these headline gigs in these B and C rooms. This is like six years before I met you. She's like, you have to bring an opener who's going to help sell your merch. I didn't even know what merch was. And really tag up your jokes. And so all you could do is be creative. And you're going to give them the time. And then you're going to work from there. And that, that was a great thing because then that, that, that took me from like 15 to 45. And yeah. so, you know, some comics did it. They were better. Some comics were just better performers. You know, guys like Flip would just hit me up. He would just see me at the club and started tagging me up. And I was like, boom. And it was, and then you did that. And you had this ability. You, you were a great MC, a great middle, but you also are a great writer and a deep writer. Now you have some personal things what we're talking about now, but you, you, so you really took it to the next level and you were also a salesman. Like you could say you were pretty good. Now you're pretty good with the merch sales. We had Dina. Yeah. Dina and Stu. Yeah. He was good. He was good. But so like people hit me up now and I'm like, okay, well, are you going to write? Yeah. Are you going to social media? Are you going to sell? What's your thing? It's just, there's no free lunches anymore. And so what you were saying is, is that I wanted to tell you is that you were saying about how it is. Oh, fuck. You're talking about that. Well, just me being a headliner and then working with a feature who is actually not sort of, who, who's acting in a way that I find yes, not people, completely. people, you, you had a great phrase and I don't know if it's exactly what I'm talking about, but it's, it's so true. And I think there's something you, you introduced me to the phrase called kill the Buddha. Yeah. And uh, what's that movie with the lady and she wants to be the other lady? You oh, know what I'm talking uh, about? about Eve? Yeah. I'm not saying that is in you, but there was a little bit of that. Like I was, had all of this stuff happening and there was a, oh, I know what it is. It's with assisting and stuff. And there was a resentment building up with you. Mm. And it was like, dude, you weren't there with me in the early 90s when I was sleeping in my car. Like, we're here because of that, because of all the sacrifices. Yeah. And so a, I always tell a good opener, a good opener, it should be like this. There's two ways you can do it. You can have a team that supports you and rides and dies with you, and their role is that they accept it and they boom. But it's hard to do that because a lot of people, most human beings are ambitious. Yeah. So they want to fucking get higher. So to me, like a, you should have a good tree, you know, like Judd Apatow has an amazing tree of people that have yeah. worked in his movies and that they became stars and produced those movies and stuff. And then there's other big performers that may just have a team and they've been with them forever and they help propel that thing to becoming this huge thing. And so for me, I needed, you need many workings within 
many legs to make the spider crawl. Yeah. And you were like that, but eventually you're like, why aren't I the spider? Well, I, I, I think that's, and you, that's why I would say become your own spider. I think that's how it like occurred to you. And I think there's maybe some truth that, but the truth is, man, I, I, one thing that I've learned in my life is I'm not really, oh, this sounds so weird to say. I'm not really like a leader. I don't want to say like, I'm a beta but you, male. But you but are I'm not alpha. like. But I'm also kind of like, I like being someone's second. Like, I, I, I like, think you do. <laughs> I like being your second. I like, like, put it this way. We went out to a club. I, if there was a problem, I wanted to be the guy to fuck the dude up. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, you like that. I wanted to be the guy to be like, hey, man, like, you want to talk, you know, like, I, there's a part of me that is, is like that. Because I've never been the most social person in the world. I'm not the person, like, I was the, the captain of my soccer team. And I was like, I don't want to fucking talk to you people. I just want to play. You know what I mean? So I'm not a natural kind of, I want to lead a team into battle. I want to be the behind the guy leading the team in battle, which if is a weird was, thing to learn. If we went to a club and there was a couple of sixes, you weren't mad to take the other six. Or the five. Can you say that? But the problem is I had that with you, and I also had Stu had this same type of thing. I think Stu, Stu might have been closer to that because Stu— He definitely had that. —was a little bit maybe more because I felt like I—I I never felt like, oh— Fuck Jamie, he's more famous and da da da. Or I deserve it. I never really felt that. I think for me, it was more along the lines like I grew up in a very insulated family, like Irish and Muerta, like white trash, two brothers, not a lot of friends growing up. I was never Mr. Popularity. So when I had a friend, it was like, this is my person. This is like my ride or die for life. Mm-hmm. So anything that, that subverted that idea in my head was like, <gasps> like my worldview got shifted. So when you would say, motherfucker, show up and do your goddamn job, for me, I'm like, but wait, we're we're blood brothers. What the fuck is that about? So I didn't know how to handle it at the time. You know now what? I look back, I, I'm like, oh, I was stupid. I will say this. A lot of people can't. I, 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 there's, a, there's a person that used to work for me. And this person, I've had this a lot, dude. I've had a lot of assistants. And you should. Yeah. You shouldn't be someone's lifelong assistant. Yeah. And you shouldn't be someone's lifelong opener unless you're playing yeah. Madison Square Garden every year yeah, with that person or, or you're set up for that. You can believe that. And people want to make it in this business, but then they start to resent you. And it's like, but you're still, whether you like the person you work for or not, you're still next to the business. Yeah. Like to me, like, and this person was like, he started not to like me. And I'm like, then why are you here? Like, yeah. I, and then I'm so fuck when you're so working and you're desperate and you're on the road and you're fucking doing podcasts and you're doing guest spots on TV shows and you're doing a fucking movie in another country. You're you're fucked. You're on a hamster wheel and they got yeah. all your credit cards. They know everything about you. And you that's how I like to talk about celebs get fucked up. People yeah, don't realize sure. it. And we're all and we don't even realize it. And the, the, the team starts hating you or certain people start hating you. And you're like, well, you can leave, but they're on the nipple. Yeah. They don't want to admit it. They're miserable with themselves. Now, you weren't like that. But, and it's like, dude, become your own king. Yeah. And then that's when you had to get them off that nipple and they either learn or they end up hating. I can't tell you how many assistants I've had. I probably, I think I'm going to do a pod about it someday. I probably have like 13. Listen, some of them are like our housewives. Some of them are bitter, like, you know, want to be artists. Some of them are executive producers on humongous TV shows. And some of them have passed away. Yeah. 
this is the business we've chosen. You know what I mean? So it's like there's that whole thing about pay up Hollywood, which I push back at. I get annoyed because it's like, I'm not writing because I'm not being. No, maybe your script's not great. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's what that's what so pisses me off about it. Yeah. And so, like, you do. You know who went to Princeton? Brooke Shields. Mm-hmm. Do you know who else went to Princeton? Dean Kane. Dean Kane, who. <laughs> I hung out with Brooke Shields. Yeah. Dean Kane also taught me how to uh, cross over dribble. He was an incredible oh, athlete. Shit. Yeah, he was. You know, also went to Princeton. The Menendez brothers. Yup, who murdered family. Yeah. You know, also went to Princeton. Craig Mazin, who wrote the Hangover movies and Chernobyl, oh. which won an Emmy. Why no? So all types of people went to Princeton. The fact that you went to Princeton is incredible, and that I know it's a different type of intelligence. Because you have world, but you, you have like street I, intelligence. I have, I have like a, I have a, you've always had, you have this like chip missing where there's like. Because you have the ability, you can walk in the Ivy Leagues and you can fuck with them. You can fuck with the aerospace engineers. You can also fuck with Crenshaw on Forty Third. <laughs> but yet you would argue about getting me a coffee, <laughs> which I get because you're like this fucking bum didn't even go to community college and I'm getting my coffee. What the fuck? No but way. you know. I would, and you would kill on stage, but you also know I would kill on stage. Yeah. And he would be like, what? So it's got to be weird for you in the sense because you, I, I didn't go through those machinations, but yeah. I still became my, th- whatever Here's the thing I you got to realize too. You, I was brand new to comedy. Yup. You were my first headliner that I toured with. And I, I was, and I was North. known. Like it and, wasn't like I was an unknown yeah, headliner. So you were also my first famous friend. Yes. So for me, like what it, it represented a lot. It represented a foray into the business, a foray into comedy, a foray into touring, a foray into like a lifestyle. Many feathered bird. Uh, you know what I mean? And then at one point I'm like, oh, Jamie's like my, my buddy. He's like my best friend. And then you kind of like realize there's a point where Here's you're what friends, I, but you're also an employee. I got to answer it right there. This is what it is. With, 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 with women I've dated, with friends I've had. I, I did this pod recently. Just remember, remember say private jet. So this is what I tell them. It's like. It's like why I keep my circle so tight and barely have any friends. Money doesn't money and success doesn't change the person. Yeah. It changes people around them. Yeah. And that's a big fucking thing. Like people who are getting it always knew they were gonna get it because that they went through the machinations to get it. But like for you, here you are opening up for me and Bob Saget in Vegas at the hot TV festival, TBS, who's like blowing up comedy on a private jet. All you had to do was fucking shake hands and kiss babies. And be grateful. And be humble, humble pie. Yeah. And then you got aggro. But then what I get is like, for me, getting on a private jet and getting to do five minutes, that's it. Like, whatever you need. Like, dude, you need me to fucking clean your balls? I would do it. But that's me (laughs) because the good always weighs the bad. And it's like, that's why I have a problem with a lot of these things that are happening. I'm not saying they shouldn't happen, but it's like, do you, it's, the air is rare, what we're going for. If everyone could do it, everyone would. And they can't. And it's like, Scott rooting through a stapler at my head. It's not great. (laughs) 
but it was Scott Rudin Stapler. I mean, you're right there to Oscars. So yeah. the, the problem is maybe I would take too much. Maybe I would take a stapler to the head. Maybe I would take a ball grab. It doesn't bother me because it's not. I had another assistant like this, and I would he would pick me up in this old fucking fucked up Sentra, and it was all rusted and shit. And he's like, I'm like, dude. The fuck, get a new car. He's like, I'm trying, man. I'm trying. Okay, I can't fucking have this car right now. And I'm like, dude, don't. He would cry. And I go, don't cry, bro. You're with me. You're going to get a better car. And he's like, I'm doing the best I can. I'm like, does this car identify you? Like, are you butthurt? Like, you're with me, dude. You're on the set with me. Cedric the Entertainer. He eventually got a job with Cedric the Entertainer. It's like, so to me, it's a deeper issue. Like, people who get mad at that have a confidence issue because you could have yeah. said that to me when I had a shitty car and be like, I know this thing's a piece of shit. I can't wait till I make it. We're driving Lambos. Like I know I'm my bad, but people <laughs> are like, this is who I am. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's a different thing. But what I'm saying is that's, that's what, what the butt hurt side you were in. Cause it's like, yeah. if people shit on me in 1993, it's like, dude, you're fucking broke. I'm like, I know I'll give you the break. Who's fucking dick do I suck? Someone was money shaming you. You can't money shame yeah. somebody. So it's like, I guess maybe I would put up with anything because I believe I'd be able to get through it. Yeah, because you had this, you had this fire from, I mean, deep fire. to your book of like, I'm going to do what I can to make it. And Whatever the stuff that I you can. did, the stuff that you did to make your career happen is unbelievable. If people don't know, get the book want to be on Amazon right now. I don't Thank know. you. But, uh, but really, like what you did was really kind of remarkable. You had a drive that I have never had in my life like I'm not I'm not saying I'm like a little lazy piece of shit but I'm lazy adjacent like I sort of give me tasks I do it but in terms of like that like drive to like like I said I wanted to be on a playbill and that's where my ambition ended so but your anger see I I, I know your anger that's why we get along I understand yeah. your anger we have the similar anger but I use my anger against them it's never in at me yeah. it's at the system you would get angry and then you got to get within the system and then change it. But you yeah. would finger the system that kind of helped you. And you were like, fuck you. Does that make sense? I get that. You know, and, and like I said, like once I became a headliner and working with features, I started going, fuck, man. I should have been more grateful to you, Jamie. I should have the whole time. I should have been like, dude, thank you. I'm sure I said thank you. Oh, but you I should have been yeah. more like. And that's why I wanted you on my podcast like a couple of years ago. Because I was like, man, I, I, I. I recognize now and I think I'm mature as a person, but I was brand new to all this shit. And I think at the time I didn't, you also have people in your ear who tell him he said, get his coffee. Fuck. I that. Who you know said that mean? to you, by the way, just like fucking everybody. Dude. Stu's a real good person at that, <laughs> but people, Oh, he wants you to get your coffee. Like <laughs> fuck that. And I'm just like, now it's just like, Hey, it's not my show. Cause you know, now I work with Piven sometimes too. Yeah. New to the, and like, He's got a lot of things going on and, and busy guy, busy guy. And like, I look at the way I work with him and I don't work with him all the time. But when I do, it's just like, I'm in support of you. So my material should be support of you, whether it's merch sales, like that, it's your gig. There are 500 people here because of you, not because of me. So just be grateful and be cool. And there's nothing really, uh, don't get your ego involved. And I think I, and it wasn't resentment towards you, Jamie, or jealousy. It was more just like my ego about, I want to be fully self-expressed and be my own artist. And then people in your ear telling you you have to be your own artist that you kind of go, he can't tell me to get coffee and what to do on stage. And then you look back like, of course he can. I You're totally, no, dude, you was just young growing pains. And at the yeah. time I needed like, a, but it was a good three years. Yeah. But hold on. Cause it's getting so hot. 
did the lady from the play ever hit you up and say, hey, you're a fucking abusive guy? The one I called the C? Yeah. No, because that was my only exchange with her. I'd never had any, like, you know, okay, interactions well. with her. Oh, you mean since in the recent yeah. times? No, no. I, I don't think that's really, uh, you know, I'm not really worried about that in my life. I, I could talk to you forever. I want to just talk about a couple more things because it's getting hot and I have, I'm going to have another pot after this in a little bit. But, dude, we've already been an hour and almost 45 minutes. Jeez. But... So, okay, I took it. Oh, I hit all my things, but then I'm asking. But, Jamie, I also, I loved working with you. Do you want to talk about the falling out in San Francisco now? I think that's going to be another 50 minutes. I want to get your opinion on something. We could do it on the other one. Yeah, go for it. What? Because I hit a lot of stuff. Falling out in San Francisco, we could talk about another day. But it's another just falling out. of. (laughs) That was really hurtful. That was hurtful. But we talked about it on your pod. And we'll get through it more. And then you... Then you named a comic. I'm like, fuck that comic. But <laughs> yeah, it's like, because it's like that. I have that gene in me, which is like good and bad. It's just like when people cross a certain thing with me, they're dead to me. Yeah. And they're dead to me because they just went too deep in the fucking Reese's of hate to tell me something. And then the fact if, if certain people have to nuke me, they're, they're going to kill me. To save themselves. And there are yeah. times that I felt that you nuked me. Maybe in San Francisco I did that, yeah. yeah. I don't remember what I said, but yeah, I think you told me in the podcast, I was like, I said that? Yeah, and it's exactly, I've done that stuff to people, and they're like, and, they're, and I was like, well, you, the impact you would have, and, yeah. you know, like I feel like I said, I felt I was feeding you not just filet, but like fucking truffle filet, and, and you bit my arm off. And even, I'm like, even after, like, we stopped, like, I, I always liked you, dude, and I always said nothing but good things about you, and I always think... I mean, this may be a weird thing to say because whatever, but like, I think you're an underrated comic genius. Like, I've always thought that, not just from like Jamie Kenny experiment and all the stuff that you did as an actor, but like, as a comic, like your ability to like uh, what you do on stage. I think you're better now than you were ten years ago. When Definitely I was better. With you. I, mean, I appreciate that. That means a lot coming from you because just because people don't know your name as much as they should, you're incredible, dude. Like you are fucking great. Like you could blow up tomorrow. And I think you're starting to do it with your viral videos and putting out there because your POV, your smart shit that you talk about and you kill like to me, you, I, you, I look a lot like you We're a lot similar, like in the sense that you take a dark topic, put it through a nice candy coated filter and sell it. And that is not easy to do. And no. I, you know, like fucking you used to have this joke all the time. And like when you had your threesomes and it's just a simple joke but it's so smart when you would say my threesome I really wasn't a threesome I was the assistant to the lesbians oh yeah <laughs> just dude it's just the greatest joke like it's so fucking funny and it's like the visuals of like the different toys you had to get <laughs> and so I respect you a lot yeah. a lot dude but let me ask you questions about this but I yeah. appreciate you said that like let's just talk because I have to have you back because there's so much. But, like, you said you talk about anything. Like, how can I say this? Because you do say this. Ugh, I don't want to bring him up. It's fine. You can do whatever. Well, you did, you did like, you talked. <laughs> you so don't want to talk about this. By the way, this would be another 50 minutes. It's okay. Let's, we can do it. Okay. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. USA Today? What did you think I was going to talk about? USA Today? Yeah, what do you think CNN? I was CNN? Yeah, you did an article. Yeah. I mean, how do you feel? Let's forget about that. How do you feel in terms of comedy today 
I mean, dude, I don't even say like that we like had fun times on the road with women because it's scary now. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Sure. But, you know, like, I think that part of the deal with being a touring comic, for sure. Is, or an actor. Or an actor. Or, or an a athlete, rock star, for sure. Or a rock star. Or a fucking millionaire. Is the fun, particularly as an unmarried guy, like, being on the road. And unfortunately, married guys, too. But being on the road and just, like, beautiful women who are, on paper, out of your league, who are drawn to you because you were on stage for 20 minutes or an hour, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, they're like, hey... Um, and I know for you, like the amount of, of women that would approach you and want you and try to talk to me to get you dwarfs anything I've come close to. And even for me, sometimes it's a little bit overwhelming. Stop it. So, but you know what I mean? Just people like, hey, I'm like, who? Um, so it's, you know, I, I think that now when I'm touring, it's not really part of my life anymore as, as a touring comic. I just don't. I don't look for it. I don't invite it. But that's also probably because I, I might have a situation where it was like back the way it felt back then. You know, it just felt very easy and free and fun. It never felt dark to me. You know what I mean? Never. You've always been like a fun guy. So even when we were hanging out with girls rolling XC, you're like, oh, look at Bean. You called her Bean, gave her nicknames. We had fun. <laughs> we're in the back of the limo. It's like all goofy. Nothing felt dark. Which one was Bean? Bean was in Florida. <laughs> Jesus bean, Christ. go Bean! <laughs> I remember that was her nickname. Why? And it was always, oh. it, but to me, it always had like a fun, fun quality to it. It was never, it never felt dark or aggressive. There was never any issue with age or anything like that. It didn't. I don't think your demographic was that. You know, I, I never felt like there were six-year-old women trying to like whatever. Um, well, I always felt like we had a lot of older ladies hit on us. <laughs> but you have to be honest, we. I, I mean, we would mind our own business. You know, that's what's interesting. It's like, I don't know, at least in our circle, I don't know a lot of comics or any comics. How do I say this? That really have to try to get the women. Like, it yeah. just happened. Like, they would like. It's a byproduct of going on stage. Yeah. Like, you said a brilliant quote one time where you said, I was like, why are you going up tonight? Like, fuck that, dude. I need you to work or something. You go, because my professional life affects my social life. And it was like brilliant because it's true. It's like if you go up on a stage in a comedy club, people, especially someone like you, they're like, oh, the life of the party. And then you leave and then you're marketing yourself. You're giving out your card, which is everyone comic has to do when they start out. It's just like women are drawn to you. You know, you already killed. It doesn't matter if I'm on stage or not. You know what I mean? It, it, you're gonna, you're killing. They're drawn to you. You know, they're drawn to who's ever on stage. If it's a female comic, women and men are gonna be drawn to them too, just sure. like us. So, it, it it's crazy that, uh, yeah, I it's just crazy that it's like considered this. I don't know comics that really hit on women. I know that women. I know or or female comics. That get that hit on men. I use usually the people come up to us. Yeah, and that's how sure. it was. You well, agree? The, yeah. For, I mean, for you, and you're not like every other headliner. There are some headliners who run it, like Elvis, where they're like, "Hey, go out, take photos of the girls, bring them back to my hotel room. I'll look at them, go get one to bring up to my hotel room, like stuff like that." But that's you know a I mean? that's a class A felony now. Yeah, and yeah. um, and I think that, and I'm not saying that was all coming from like a really dark predatory space. Maybe 
it started off as, I think a lot of things like drugs, like anything that you've been addicted to, it starts off as fun mm. because, wow, look at this access I have and look at these women that I'm, I'm meeting and da, da, da. And then it becomes, you become addicted to the feeling it gives you. And next thing you know, if you're on the road and you're not getting laid, you start doing like desperate things and, and drinking and going to strip clubs and doing whatever the fuck it is, you know? I, I will, here's what I want to say is this, and how can I say this? Because it's good to talk to you about this, but how we say it so the normal person can understand it, because it's so weird that we have to fucking bite our tongues. I just remember one time I was at this club. It's a great city. I'm not going to name it. And a girl hit me up online and said, uh, she said, I really would, something to the effect of, like, what's up? <laughs> and it was a picture. Of her asshole? And it was a picture of her, of her pussy uh-huh. with a, she's like, with a, a, a ring through it. Uh-huh. And she's like, I need another piercing. So those are the ones I'd usually respond to that I knew <laughs> there was a good chance we were going to have a coffee. But that's how, that was the, like, if you started with that with me, then okay, I think <laughs> it's documented through the blockchain. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's, yeah. then, you know, they come to the limo, whatever, whatever, yeah. meet me out here, meet me at the hot wing hut, you know? Yeah. But just people don't, I mean, that was very common. Oh, for sure. That's a Tuesday. Yeah. And the fact that people don't realize that, like. They don't. I think that's a lot of people don't, like, civilians don't, don't real, get it. Yeah. It's not even the civilians. I think civilians do. I think it's like these, what do we call them? SJ dubs or whatever. It's like these, like, these, like, these perfect females that are just never would do that. It's just not true. It's because like, we're doing what we do not because we were the most popular, coolest guy in high school. Mm-hmm. Like most of us on some level were fucking dorks, news, to a degree, even or adjacent to it. Like, yeah, well, I was I, fine, but I wasn't the most popular. I wasn't the school president. I wasn't the most popular guy. I had fucking issues. So I think that most comics, all of a sudden, that they're now being regarded a certain way. But well, there are women that, that I've dated as a comic that would never have given me the time of the day if I was an accountant. It's true. You know. And it would have been, you would have, if you would have hit on them, it would have been creepy. Yeah, or the girls in high school that would completely blow me off then would later come to comedy shows like, hi, Bill. And I'm like, that's funny, you know? So it's like how, so do you feel, I, I was listening to two road comics the other day, good guys who are lower level and they were like, they do their shows and they go to their hotel room now. Yeah. And I thought, wow. I mean, people should hear these conversations because it's like they're being good guys. Not that they were going to be bad guys, but they don't even want to partake in party. But then I was like, wow, if it's hitting like the middle and the opener slots like that, like people should know the movement is working. But also like these dudes, like that's how they go on the road. They want to have fun. They want to do a bump. They want to yeah. like meet a local. If they're not doing that, that means, I mean, we're all like head in the sand fucking stay down there for five years until the shit blows over. I mean, I think a lot of it is connected. Usually it's connected to drugs, right? Or alcohol. Like I look back, I was drinking a lot when we were touring together. And I think that the moments where I was at my worst behavior, like in Miami, when I threw a drink in that girl's face, if you remember that. Dude, I can't put this on here. Who was that? What'd you do? It was like so long ago. She's like, that gay. Dude, there's 50 year old fucking shit. Where was that at? It was, we were at a nightclub in Miami. But that was me drunk. 
I threw a drink in What happened? Face. Did you guys make up after? No, they kicked me out of the club, and then you were fucking pissed at me. But oh. you gave me. <laughs> um, and, you know, obviously that's embarrassing and stupid, and I'm whatever it was. I'm 30 years old, and I'm an idiot, and uh, I it would never went beyond that. But it was just like, you know, I think I would get drunk. And I, there was a certain point in my life where I said, wow, drinking doesn't work for me in any capacity. So I don't drink anymore. I haven't drank in two and a half years. Well, how yeah. long have you been? Oh, I mean, I probably haven't been like drunk in 10. When's the last time you drank? Like I'll have a drink out of peer pressure okay. and I'll drink half of it and then leave it. You okay. know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm not like on the program sober, but yeah. I'm just kind of like, sure, let's have a drink. I'll put it down and forget about it. You know? Yeah. Um, and I've never done coke before, so I don't I know. I haven't either. People don't believe that, but yeah. No, I know that, but you're actually much more straight edge than people think. I know. People always think you're on drugs like on stage. Is. I'm like, no, dude. I would drink, though, but I would have yeah. a little vodka, a little cranberry, and a little peach. You wouldn't even smoke weed back then. No. Either. Do you smoke weed now? Not really. Yeah. I get paranoid. Yeah. But once in a while, if it's a good stream, but I have too much to do. When I have nothing to do, I'll probably do it, but yeah. I just become... So you do this, so like, what do you feel about, what is, give me your take on the adult topic of the Me Too. Um, I think there's a couple things, I think. I think it's obviously, the first thing is, it's good. It's mostly good. Everything that's happening with the transgender movement, with BLM, with Me Too, all these disenfranchised groups and the minority groups coming out and having a voice is mostly good. It's 90% good. And the 10% is just about human nature, and human nature doesn't have a limiting principle. Human nature is just going to keep fucking going until there's a wall. And right now, the only wall that exists is this Republican party that's like, because otherwise, progressivism is just going to keep going and going and going and going and say, nothing is right, nothing is ever better. we got to keep moving. It's like a shark. It's got to swim or die. And I think about this Louis C.K. bit on his last special that he released during quarantine we talked about this movie about a mentally handicapped guy he said the word retarded who um it's a story about how he's like i want to have a job and the republicans like you can't have a job and the lady's like he should have a job just like anyone else so he gets a job meets a girl falls in love i want to get married you can't get married the liberal woman of course you can get married he's gonna be in love with someone else then he's like we want to have a baby and the liberal woman's like no fucking way there's a limit so the moral of the story is mm. there's just a fucking limit. Mm. And the problem with now is there's no limit. Like there's, there's no self-regulating force in any of these movements to kind of go, okay, wait a second. We want here. This is good. This is progress. We've made some inroads to what we want. Now let's just fucking relax a bit. It just has to keep kind of moving because you have people defund the police and everyone can get behind that and then it becomes abolished to the police and people go, wait, no, don't. But then no one's standing up against people saying abolish the police, which I think most any sentient human will know that's a ridiculous concept. But it's really, that is what Colin Kaepernick is out there propagating. Abolish the police. It's a thing that people are actually taking to because they get- He wants no police? Abolish, not defund, abolish. So I think there is, people get caught up in the progressiveness of of the idea of it and the idea of utopia and everyone kind of coming together and working together and anti-racism, which is great. But there's got to be, there's got to be a bulwark to just go, okay, just like, just, it has to exist. So the thing that bugs me now is that when people say there is no other side, there's the right side and the wrong side. No, there is another side. And if you have, if you don't look at things like that, if you, if you can't acknowledge there's another side, then you are actually 
acting in a very autocratic fascist fashion. You are accept, you're saying that things have to be this way or they're wrong, which is how dictatorships start. You know what I mean? So I think that it's a really tough time for people to have any gradation of thought. So with the Me Too movement, like, of course, and I used to do this joke before Bill Bird did. I said, I would, I would go in the marches, I'd have my sign, like, time's up, Me Too, believe most women, and I would let that hang there. And I go, yeah, most women. All women, what about a cunt? You never heard of a cunt? There are cunts. And, and it would do okay, but it was also, it was obviously a minefield. And then Bill Burt is like, yeah, what about psychos? I'm like, ah, better choose better word. Yeah, you went. <laughs> uh, that's why you're Bill Burr, not me. He said psychos. <laughs> but it's obviously like, yeah, everything should. So I think that when things happen, it's just important for people to look at everything and look at every side. But we, we get locked in our echo chambers and the idea of going outside whatever echo chamber we're in just becomes very unpalatable to people. But am I crazy or has it never been this like dicey? I think that people don't have a real sense of history in this country. Like I just did this movie about the Boston busing crisis in seventies in, in Boston. Yeah. And the, the dialogue that was, is the same dialogue that's existing now. Defund the police was, came out then. Oh, uh, anti-racism came out then, you know, there's a lot critical race theory was out then. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of stuff um, that was being propagated and promulgated at that time that are coming back now in a different form. So I don't think it's, it's like chicken little, the sky is falling and you have to kind of toe the line or you're going to be banned from, from entertainment. But I do think, uh, it it is a scary time to really stand up hard against things that you find to be wrong. You know what I mean? It's not even that. It's just like, I just, that's too long of a story, but you can't even have, an opposing opinion without people calling you an ist <laughs> or an obe. Yeah. And that's just nuts. But yet I see in our business, I think comedy is the most, I think comedy is a kaleidoscope. I see every type of person in comedy and I yeah. see at the clubs and I see super hipsters from Silver Lake and I hug them and I see, you know, rednecks from Alabama and I hug them and we're all in the circuit. Yeah. Everybody seems cool with each other. How boring would your life be if you were on the road only performing to liberal Democrats? Yeah. How dumb would those shows be? Yeah. Or right wing, you know, you know, nuts. Yeah. You know, like, but I feel that. It's crazy to me is that there is a belief system now that this is Sanskrit and that is craziness. And I've never seen that like news organizations are straight up doing segments trying to discredit other news organizations. And it's like getting to the point where it's just going to the snake is going to eat its own tail, which is happening. And I feel like how much more compartmentalized can Hollywood be? Like, you're not going to be able to say shit. And I think it's going to kind of implode and give a lot of love to, like I said this, somebody said this to me, we're all either going to be working for Disney plus or have a Patreon. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of true because if you think about it, what's happening now with podcasts and Patreon yeah. and everything else, there are people like you have the Tim Dillons of the world who are making millions doing a podcast. Yeah. They're not beholden to any companies. They can shit all over the network as much as they want yeah. without any repercussions. I mean, Tony Hinchcliffe got in the hot water for what happened in, in Austin recently, yeah. but his podcast is still chugging along. He's still got his fan base. It's almost irrelevant, which is an interesting thing for an artist to say, hey, I don't need to kowtow 
to certain aspects of the industry. If I don't want to, I can make my own, my own destiny. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not at that place where I feel comfortable. Like I'm going to, I'll remove every goddamn tweet I ever wrote. If, if I'm worried, to, I will get <laughs> guest star on bones. If you know? you, <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're digging up bones <laughs> for the reboot. If you can play a fucking Disney dad. If I'll be a Nickelodeon fairy odd mother or whatever yeah. the fuck it is, yeah, I'll delete every goddamn tweet I ever wrote. Well, they're going to bring up that you threw a fucking <laughs> recolo at a female in oh 2003 and yeah, hit yeah. a kneecap. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Dude, I could talk to you all day, man. Fucking, but I got to go. I'm dying. Yeah, I hear you, man. It's hot. Tell me what you want to promote. Give us your socials. My socials. It's just Bill Dawes. I mean, Instagram is kind of like where I mostly Two hours. do my thing on Instagram. I'm not really big on the TikTok. Bill Dawes on Instagram. Yeah. Twitter, Bill Dawes. It's all, it's all just Bill Dawes. Facebook, yeah. Bill Dawes. You and got you anything know? you want? You got coming up? Yeah, I'm going to be opening for Jamie Kennedy in Austin at the Vulcan <laughs> Theater. <laughs> it's going hard. Okay, this whole thing is to get five minutes in front of Austin. Didn't you already do that? The, I do the Vulcan all the time. I'm in Austin all the time. Who are you doing it with? Just different, like Trevor, different people book me on the shows or, you know, the guys there. They, you know, they like me there. So I know you were there. I was like, oh man, could I feature with you? You're like, no, Bill. No, we're going to talk about it. Okay. <laughs> love you, buddy. I love you too, man. Yeah, do it again. Thank you for, for sure. doing this. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. You said bye-bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.